Hey, what's up, guys? So for this episode of the podcast, we are actually doing a movie review, so it's not like an actual episode, and we spoil a shit ton of movies. Uh, the main one, which is the title of the episode, is we're going to talk about Midsummer. We also talk about Hereditary a lot. We talk about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Psycho, the 2018 Halloween movie, and Sinister. So if you don't want those movies spoiled, just stop watching now, go watch all of those, and then come back. Fuck it, we're doing it live! I said we'll do it live! Fuck it! <laughs> Alright guys, a toast to this episode of the Modern Goonies Podcast. Salute. Salute. We're toasting with coffee, beer, and racetrack. Facts. All right, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Modern Goonies Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor King Minor, and on the mic today, I've got my good friend Chandler. How's it going, folks? And I've got my good friend Harrison. Howdy. So for this episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, this one's not an official episode. We're not going to number this one because in this episode, we are reviewing the newest horror movie uh, by Ari Aster and A24 uh, called Midsummer. Uh, it's a, it's a re- it was a really cool film. Uh, it was something that was very thought-provoking, and uh, it was really interesting. So we wanted to give our perspective on it while it was still out in theaters. Uh, so if you haven't seen the other episodes, go and check them out. In the last episode, we talked about uh, all things science and the universe with uh, Michael, who is a physics graduate, and uh, my good friend Mark, who's just like a long-time... Uh, hobbyist when it comes to science and evolution and things like that. Uh, a lot of really good conversations. Got a lot of really good feedback from that episode. So if you're interested, go and check it out. Um, okay, so for this one, we're just going to start reviewing the movie. So Chandler, why don't you give us a little bit of a, uh, for people who maybe their memory is a little rusty or uh, who haven't seen it yet. By the way, giant spoiler alert. This whole thing is we're going to talk about the movie in depth. So if you haven't seen it yet, spoiler warning right here. Go watch it. Come back. Uh, so Chandler, why don't you give us a little bit of synopsis of everything that happens in the movie? Okay, I'll try and give a very, very brief rundown of it. Uh, so main character is Danny. This girl starts off, uh, shows her relationship with her boyfriend, Christopher. Christian. Christian, is it? Yeah, it's Christian. Excuse me. I guess I don't know that much. His name's Christian. Anyways, dude's a dick. You see their relationship's kind of rocky, uh... Danny has a sister uh, that's bipolar, and the sister ends up killing both of her parents and herself. Danny goes on a mental breakdown. Christian's not there emotionally. He ends up planning this trip to go to Sweden with him and three other friends to go to this event called In Midsummer, or Midsommar, whatever you want to call it. Uh Danny doesn't want to go. They get there. They end up all going together. She tries to do it as like a way to get over her grief. So they get there and they take... First they get there, they take some uh, mushrooms. It's a really cool scene. It looks really cool, but we'll get into that later. They end up getting to the place. Everything's just kind of eerie. It's very, it has very cultish vibes. And then, you know, they just start going through day-to-day interactions. Things are kind of weird. They're trying to find their footing there. Uh, things pick up and... The first time you really get a sense of horror, Danny ends up seeing... Well, this actually is before they get there, so I'll backtrack a little bit. She sees the reflection of her sister in a mirror when she's on her mushroom trip, and that's really one of the first, like, kind of instances where you get a horrorish vibe. Uh, and later on, they're going to some type of ritual. I, can't, I don't remember what they call it in the movie, 
But they get there, and there's these two older people of the group, and they cut their hands, and they wipe their bloody hands on these runes, and then they jump off this giant cliff. And it's supposed to be a way to them, like, transitioning into death, and they established it in the movie where they, every person in their religion or their, like, tribe or whatever you want to call it, they uh, have phases. I think it's 18 years, and it's spring, and then uh, 18 to 36 is summer, and then... Thirty-six to what, fifty, fifty-two. Mm. Nah, something fifty-four. Some, I don't there's, know. there's three. It, there's three. Like there's like the teenage. It, it like, go, yeah, yeah. It goes through eighteen years, so you go spring, then summer, then fall, and then winter. And when you hit seventy-two, that's whenever they decide that it's time to just like really check in. And they don't consider like killing yourself. They just see it as a way as turning over and going through reincarnation, or whatever they believe in next. They don't want you to be old and decrepit, and it's not a way to live. And so these people jump off the cliff, committing suicide-ish, and that freaks everybody out in the group. And then two other travelers that came with uh, one of the other guys, what's his name? Pell? Pell? Something. It's like P-E-L-L-E. That's how it's spelled. His character was so minor, it didn't really matter his name is. Well, that character's brother, he brought two other outside friends and to view the event of midsummer but everyone that's not part of the group that doesn't know this is coming they freak out obviously and then we see these two people uh that he brought in they one of them ends up going missing and they say that he was taken back to a train station he goes off to die and then we never see it on screen the first on death or on screen death we see is of one of the one of the friends of Danny and she, or excuse me, he tries to read their sacred text and take a picture of it, which was taboo, and it was made clear. Gets striked in the head with a hammer. Uh, another one of their friends, actually, he just, I'm getting this all mm. kind Mark, of backwards. Mark, Ted, he wasn't on screen, but he was uh, the second. Yeah, he yeah. gets he gets taken away, and we, we don't know well, he, where, where well, he goes. What, ha- what happened was that he, he got really... Uh, he he wasn't paying attention and he pissed on the ancestral tree yeah, where, an... where they put the ashes of the people who had jumped right. off the cliff yeah. and it's super sacred and so it pissed off this one guy in particular. Did anyone remember what that guy's name was? Uh, he was a very again minor character. Yeah, so it just yeah. pissed off this one villager in particular and he gets like fucking pissed and he's visibly annoyed the entire time and he even makes like a slight joke. He's yeah, like, Mark's... is that guy gonna? Yeah, Mark's that guy gonna kill me? He's like, man, this guy's yeah. really I fucked me. He's like, is he go- <laughs> he's like, yeah. is he gonna kill me or something? And this guy's always like the the comedy relief is actually pretty funny there's a few times where i was kind of laughing which kind of blends the genres a little bit but he ends up going off with some girl and we don't see him again but the guy that's reading the sacred text he gets whacked over the head with a hammer and we see that it's the guy that was i fucking mark and that's josh right isn't that his name no it's something it's something weird something swedish can't remember but yeah he's yeah he gets whacked over the head with the with the dude who was i fucking uh Mark, but he's wearing Mark's He's skin. wearing Mark's face, yeah. an all Texas Chainsaw style. He's also wearing his uh, lower half, too. Is he? Yep. Wearing yeah, his it, dick. It's a really quick scene, so it's hard to see it, but we get Ari Aster uh, type again with the massive head trauma. He's got a thing for it, I guess. Yep. Uh, so these are the first, that's the first real death that we see, and then we can see Mark's face cut off, and things are just going even steadily creepier down the rabbit hole a bit more. And we see uh, the main character, Danny. she's getting more accustomed to finding her footing in with the group, and they go to 
the event where they crown the May Queen, and they do like a stamina dance battle high on mushrooms. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but it happens. Or they dance around a maypole. The last woman that's there dancing is crowned the May Queen. And she's queen of the festival, and she's supposed to have you know, the power to bring blessings for that year and whatever. Did they say and how long that took? Was the, there ever the actual a... dance? It, it, it never gave a time frame of how yeah. long it took. But she goes through that, and then while her boyfriend Christian, he is given more psychedelic mushrooms in a tea form, and he ends up going off, and he ends up sleeping with the younger girl Maya. I think that's her name. Yeah, sounds right. Excuse me. And they end up having sex, and one of the strangest sex scenes you'll see on camera. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If not, you will when you see it. And Danny sees this, gets visibly upset, and then all of the other people in the group kind of mimic her emotions, and she's the May Queen at this point. And then we go to the next scene where Christian is paralyzed by some kind of powder, and then when we see him next, he's in a wheelchair. He's told he can't move. And we see Danny. She's in a whole gown of flowers. Really, really beautiful. But we get the... Uh, then we get told that we're going to some kind of ritual. And they're offering like people a sacrifices. There's like four outsiders and people... And four inside the group. There's two volunteers and then the two older people that already gave themselves up earlier in the movie that jumped off the cliff. And she gets the decision of who she wants to be the last person. And she ends up choosing Christian. He's put into a bear suit. And they all get burned alive. Really rough synopsis of it. But there's a lot of details in there that I glanced over. And we can get into those. Yep. But essentially, I would say that it's a horror movie. But it also shows the process of grief for Danny And how she goes from feeling like no one's there for her after she loses her parents and her sister and she really tries to depend on her boyfriend Christian and he's not there for her and the guy's a total dick the whole movie just doesn't pay attention she actually forgets her birthday too in the movie and then we just see her transitioning from that and then the final shot of the movie it shows her watching this whole church where they have all the people in there getting ready to be burned and she goes from like this look of like total like horror and then she just smiles and then it just fades to credits so I think it's the transition from when she feels like she has nothing and no one, and then she finally finds a home with this group. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> Horrible synopsis. I missed a lot, but yeah. Well, I mean, quick bullet that, points. That's what we're all gonna. Yeah, we're we're gonna dive into that. Okay. So now now that you kind of Chandler gave us a rough overview of the entire thing, uh, why don't we go ahead and kind of give our uh, just like our base opinions of the movie, but without diving like too far into it, because we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. So, uh, since Chandler did that, Harrison, what, what's like your what's your initial reaction of watching this movie? What do, what do you think of it? Well, like his last movie, Hereditary, I had to sleep on it. Um, I definitely liked it, like right after the movie, but after 24 hours and like kind of reading up like on other people's opinions about it and like just what they think happened and stuff i like i to this right now i i love it i thought midsummer was great i think um just like hereditary i think ari has a really good grasp of how to express grief like you were talking about like uh i forget her name uh the girl that played danny 
Uh, something Poe. Mm. Yeah, something like Florence. That. Florence. Florence. That's it. Yeah, something like Florence. Uh, I want to say it's Poe. I'm, I'm, I'm actually. It's I'm, Pew. It's, it's Florence. It's like, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm going to look it up because I don't. I want to give credit where it's due. She was awesome. In the yeah, movie. she was really great. Fantastic. Uh, and like just like uh, uh, what's her name? Florence uh, Pugh. Yeah. Pugh. Uh, just like uh, the mom in Hereditary. Also, dude, just incredible acting. Like yeah. with grief and like. Both are like there's not a first and second place in that. Like there's just so much incredible expression of grief. Tony Collette. That's Tony Colletti. That's yeah. the mom's name. Uh, Hereditary. Just really great. And like what I liked, there wasn't anything I liked more than the other. I liked everything pretty much the same like amount. Like I love the score of the movie. Incredible. Fucking nuts. It's the very last scene, uh, where uh. The, the burning temple and everything like that. That whole score is crazy. Like, it is just... It's beautiful, and it dives, like... And it just ends abruptly. Like, just like the movie does at the very end. Um, the guy who did it, he has a... He's a he's, he goes under the name of, like, Haxon Cloak. Uh, the guy he, who did the score? Yeah, that's not his name. I forget what his name is, but his, like, he's an persona... Is the this is called the Haxon Cloak, and he makes really atmospheric, like experimental industrial music. That's what I was gonna say. It's something that, and I don't mean to cut you off, but no, something that should be noted is this is Ari Aster's second uh, directorial yep. endeavor. He did a bunch of short movies before this, but I think it's really interesting how vastly different Hereditary and Midsummer are, but how they're similar, identical they are. Too. I agree. I was they're gonna I was gonna bring that up that they're both obviously cult oriented uh which really you don't get that cult vibe until the very end of hereditary but with midsummer it's in the middle so spoiler review for hereditary oh yeah there's, sorry there's gonna yeah. be spoiler I'll, reviews i'll, I'll for... put that like when it flashes on yeah. the screen i'll put that same thing like okay. spoilers for hereditary and midsummer um the visuals were nuts that was incredible the cinematography I, was the cinematography is on point the shot where that woman is about to jump off the cliff and she's like this the point it's just the craziest looking shot like i don't know what about that shot just was like crazy to me that shot and the shot where she's like freaking out about the burning uh about christian being burned up and everything she's wandering around in like that snail looking flower uh dress dress and things. oh yeah it looked, that was a crazy Giant shot she's, she's just running like she's trying to she's just sluggishly kind of like crying and breaking down like it's with the music and everything. It, the visuals are crazy. The uh, uh, the trips, like you were talking about, the mushroom trips were crazy. The visual, like there's a there's a scene. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but uh, whenever they do crown her the May Queen, there's a part that I saw it, but I didn't realize what who it was. But there's a face in the trees, yeah, and it's her sister with the tube coming out of her. Ari Aster no. is very, very good at showing extreme subtle details like it's, in the background yeah, of dude, his movies. Yeah. It, it, it breaks the trope of what horror is. Like there's yeah. there's jump scares, but it's not... In Midsummer or just in general? In, in both movies, in Hereditary and Midsummer. I mean, there's there's a couple. like there's, But it's not how you would see most modern horror movies. Like He's definitely bringing something to horror, like not just in Midsummer, but also in Hereditary, like that 
horror really lacked a lot. Like there's like the Annabelles and the the fucking Conjuring Child's Play. And, 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 all that. I mean, you could like, any run of yeah, the mill horror movies like, now, which like, is all jump scare. Storytelling is so important, dude. Like it's incredibly important. The last movie before Hereditary that it's not the same director, but The Witch was the same way. Like atmospheric storytelling, incredibly slow burning. Uh, storytelling where it just keeps you on edge because you have no idea what's going to happen. The fear of wonder is what builds these movies. Like, right, when that, you don't know what's going to happen... I'll add something to that whenever you're done, too. So, like... That, but either all, that going off to that, like, it's just... I I honestly... If he directs a non-horror movie, I'd still watch it. He's got yeah. a real great eye for cinematography. They're always pretty movies. Uh, the music's always great. The storytelling's always amazing. It's a great attention to detail. Incredible attention to detail. But uh, out of, I I did score eight out of ten, but ten out of ten for me. Okay. All right, Chandler, why don't you give your like base opinion of the movie? Uh, I I didn't like it as much as Hereditary, which isn't anything to take away from because I thought Hereditary is one of the best (laughs) horror movies I've seen in years. But it's such a breath of fresh air in a genre that is so oversaturated with the same structure of how a movie is of how a horror movie is made and it's like what harrison said uh that there should be a sense of not knowing about what's going to happen and that's really scary because Mm -hmm. the the thought of the unknown is extremely horrifying and things that's not horror based or in movies but in life too what you don't know is extremely frightening And I feel like with most jump scares, I mean, you can tell when a jump scare is going to happen. Oh, yeah. You can just count it down almost to exactly when it's going to happen. I mean, you might not know the exact frame when something's yeah. going to pop out at you, but you know, the music intensifies, and then you just see someone walking down like a slow like hallway or something. But and it just it, stops. It, you you can just tell. <laughs> yeah. But you, it's cheap. It's cheap tactics to get a scare out of your audience whenever you spike the. <clears throat> like the music or something to like just jump at you i I mean we could be sitting right here and if someone just played some music at extremely high decibels we would all freak out right and we would jump but no one would be scared what makes a horror movie scary is when you leave the audience and you just have like this kind of uh, like i just don't yeah like like whenever i left midsummer and we've all i I haven't talked i didn't talk to you after you saw it but whenever i came home after i saw it trevor asked me he's like how'd you like the movie i was like I don't know. It was like, I have to like sit and think on it. I was yeah. like, so I uh, remember that point. Cause I want to touch on that exact thing later. And, I, and that's how I felt whenever I left the theater with some other friends I saw with about, uh, I saw it with four other friends and we all got done and we were trying to talk about it and we, everyone had varying opinions, but we all just felt this kind of like Harrison said, a weight, but you just know, like it affected you in a different way. Like when you leave your run of the mill kind of horror movies where it's a jump scare, like you were like, yeah, I mean, it has some scary parts, but, it doesn't really get down to the core of what scares you. That's what's good about <clears throat> Ari Aster, I think, mm-hmm. is he's tapping into some something he's tapping that into we, a sense. Like he's yeah, tapping it, into your senses and not just your like. It's it's more yeah. than just auditory and visual. It, yeah. it, it's right. making you feel something. Yeah, and that's what makes a horror movie good, in my opinion. I, I think, think that's what makes a movie in general. Really I was gonna good. say, besides a horror movie, just a movie that gives you this. Yeah, of after the movie, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Movie that makes you feel something. We we talked about that a little bit before, and like mm-hmm. be it with music or a little bit in cinema, but something right. that no matter what Lasting. that feeling is, if you yeah, if you walk out of 
the theater and you feel something, whether it's disgust or you, you felt like that emotional drama or, or whatever it was you were watching or the comedy, you felt really happy walking out and just the fact of having that means that the movie did something successfully. It affected you in some yes. way. That's yep. something that's really lacking in horror. I think it's it's just so stale. It's just yeah. so disheartening to see so many rehashes and remakes of horror movies come out. When you see something like Midsommar or Hereditary, it's nice. it's, it's so nice. It feels so good. It gives me faith in the genre again because horror is probably my favorite genre of movies, I guess. If I had Same. to choose one, I love all kinds of movies. Love but movies. I love dissecting horror movies because there's yeah. so much that goes into making a horror movie right. to right. try to get a scare out of your audience. And I think he's doing something different, but it's something great. And it's not for everybody. Cause there's, no. well, cause I mean, it's, it's for a specific audience. Like I, that's not true. It's for a specific eye, I guess. It's Be- for some, I don't need to cut you off, but it's for someone yeah. that wants to see something different. If you expect yeah. to go see a movie that's kind of, that's similar to the conjuring, I'd say the sequels, because the first Conjuring was great. But the run-of-the-mill spinoffs, The Nun, Annabelle, Annabelle Comes Home, all this stuff. Like, If you go into it expecting to see that, you're going to be disappointed, because it's not like that kind of movie. For sure. So if you had to, if you had to give it a rating, uh, based on everything that you know now, what would you give it? Do I have to give it to a rounded scale, or can I use decimal points? You can use decimal. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Okay. One, one to ten. I, I'd give Midsommar a 7.8. Okay. Not nice quite IMDb a, scale there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd give, and to give some contrast, I'd give Hereditary probably somewhere between an 8 to like an 8.3, maybe. I think it was just a little bit better. There's a little okay. bit more horror elements in it for me. On my rating as well, I'm not rating it 10 out of 10 for the horror aspect. I'm just saying as a movie whole. Okay. So, yeah. What about so you, Trevor? That. You haven't added in too much yet. Um. So... <laughs> kind of what I said I wanted to touch on what you said a minute ago so I got done watching that movie and I walked out lost isn't the right word but just I had no idea what to feel about the movie so unbelievably perplexed yes that's a good that's a good word for that I walked out and I'm like I I mean I have some base opinions but I feel like I I felt like something had fell flat when I first watched the movie because I was like man I've got to be missing something this is fucking like the hell it's a child that, that, if yeah. you can hear the neighbors, uh, excuse me, we've got some neighbors that are close by. Yeah. Um, but when I first walked out of the movie, I was like, man, something fell flat. Like, there's just something I'm, I'm fucking missing. And so uh, when, you, when you had mentioned to me earlier, it's like when I asked you, hey, what'd you think about it? And you're like, I got to think about it. I, that's exactly how I walked out. We were all trying to talk about it in the parking lot. And I didn't even want to be a part of the conversation. Like, if you might have noticed, Harrison, I was just kind of being quiet because I'm like, I can't even wrap my head around this movie. There's yet. a like, lot I really, to unpack. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I really need to just sit and like stew on it for to really understand it. And um, after doing a little bit of, you know, researching, uh, like Harrison had brought up, like the script and just like some analysis of it in general, uh, one of the things that Ari Aster was, was trying to do with the movie is he, he wanted that feeling, actually, walking out of, the, out of the theater. He wanted you walking out being like, I don't even know what to think. And uh, if that was the goal he was shooting for, he did it flawlessly because I walked out just dumbfounded, had no idea. Um, I'll add in just real quick, but yeah. that's not a bad thing because you can see a movie that you walk out and you're like, what the fuck was that? And then there is no yeah. like answer for it. It's just a bunch of shit that's right. thrown up on yeah, the screen. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this, exactly. there, there is reasons as to why you're confused. And if you go back on a second viewing or you watch yeah. like someone on YouTube like do a 
detailed review of it or a recap, then you see like these yeah. things like you missed out on. So exactly. it, it's there. You just don't see it on your initial view. Right. And this right. this was not a surface level movie. So some other movies that do that kind of shit and you walk out, that was fucking stupid. You're like, I don't even understand this. And it's justified because there's really not much more to it than that. But not in this case, because in this case, you, you tell that there's more to it and you want to dive into it. And I thought that was something uh, that's really that's really incredible to be able to do with the movie. So I'm going to relate a little bit of my review with this to Hereditary because um, stylistically, they're very similar. Um, and storytelling wise, they're, they're very they're very similar stories, but they're completely worlds apart in the story that they're telling at the same time. Uh, when I walked out of Hereditary, I kind of had the same feeling. Yeah. Uh, a little bit, not as much, but I had I had the same feeling of like, what the fuck? Like I had to have missed something, and uh, but that movie wants you to talk about it. So I remember walking out of the theater, and all of our friends, there were like five of us, we all just sat down and discussed it, and we had all picked up on different pieces of the movie, like little small details. Yeah, I that, we were at Steak and yeah, Shake. Yeah, we were sitting at Steak and Shake, and we all had little small details that uh, we had missed that Ari Aster had like sprinkled throughout the movie, mm-hmm. and so I went from not understanding what the main goal was to having this crystal clear image by the end. And I'm like, oh man, that's really fucking good actually. Um, so I think that the fact that he can make you do that about a movie is just spectacular. And that's something that I really like about him so far. Um, but my main, the main contrast between this movie, between Midsummer and Hereditary is kind of the, the takeaway that you get from it. Um, at least I feel. So when I watched Hereditary and we, we, kind of unpacked it and we understood everything. It, tell, it tells this story all the way through. And in my opinion, there's, there's not really a whole lot of, you're not really supposed to dive into it on like, what is the moral of the story? At least I don't think with Hereditary. You kind of watch it like, okay, I understand the narrative now that I've thought about it. And it tells this nice, fucking cool story. But with Midsummer, I feel not like... so nice, but it's well, a yeah, story. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. um, but when you watch, when I watched Midsummer. <clears throat> Uh, I feel like the story itself is straightforward. You know what's happening. The thing you're supposed to pick up on it is the overarching message, the morality of it, or, or the, the moral of the story or whatever, which I feel like that's the biggest difference between the two movies. Because I feel like I'm watching Hereditary for the story. This one I'm watching for the message. And uh, once you kind of understand the message or you can draw your own conclusions from the message, that's when I really enjoyed the thought of the movie. I was like, okay, now that I understand kind of what it was going for, I really like it. And I think that's a really unique perspective on what it's trying to tell. Because uh, after reading some of these, the sense that I get is that, and the thing that Ari Aster has actually said a couple of times is that this movie, while yes, it's about this creepy cult, it's also about a breakup. Yes. And I, I, I wanted to talk about yes, that. Yes. And, and I want to dive a little further into that. So I'll, I'll wrap up what I'm saying here. But, and so I think when you, when I look at it from that morale of the story, like, like what is the overarching goal? And I look at it from that perspective, like it's, it's a metaphor, it's an analogy. Then I think the movie's beautiful. I'm like, that actually, that makes a shitload of sense. I really like that. And I think that, I think he accomplished that very well. So um, I didn't like it as much as Hereditary because I feel like Hereditary is a movie that even if you're, I mean, say you're just like a lay person in horror, you can kind of watch and be like, okay, that movie like scared me. That movie was it's fucking more, it's creepy. It's more streamlined as a horror movie. Yes. It, like, it, it's somebody that people like us who like to dive deeper in and people who are just the common, I just like to watch horror movies, can kind of come together on. Whereas this one was more like you have to be disciplined about actually about watching the movie. Um, so I didn't, I didn't like it quite as much as Hereditary, but I, I, now that like looking at some stuff, so I'm going to rate mine in the, in the realm of horror in general uh, because... I don't know. Horror, horror is like a, this whole separate thing. It's hard for me to rate it like as just a movie in general because I know a lot of people would disagree because a lot of people don't like horror. Right. Um, 
So in the realm of a horror movie, I would have rated Hereditary like a solid nine, and this movie I would rate like an eight point five. Uh, but in this, in the realm of like a, like movie ratings, I would I would say it's a seven point five, uh, like just as a movie as a whole. So that that's kind of that's my review. That's my take on it. Uh, so why don't why don't we go ahead and start like discussing some of the the inner themes of the movie, and the things going on in there? I wanted to add that it's and like you said, it's hard to classify horror movies because it's really a broad spectrum. Yeah, because it's everyone, like subgenres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because everyone is scared of something different. Yeah, and. You know, there's so many different kinds of types of horror movies. So I, and I think Ari Aster did a really great job of running the gambit on genres in this movie because yep. it's not just a horror movie. It's, right. It's drama in a way about when you look at the aspect of the relationship between Danny and Christian, and there's great elements of comedy. Like there's times okay. where I'm laughing out loud. Oh, Mark had me laughing my ass off in the theater. There were a couple points there. I was, you know, I was like cackling because I thought he was so fucking funny. But it didn't feel cheap either because no. there's, in horror movies, there's always that like, one friend. Yes, there's always yes. someone yeah. that's there for the comedic relief. Yeah. yeah. And just on a side note that I wanted to add to my own point. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to talk about earlier when we were talking about jump scares. You know what pisses me off more than anything is when it's setting up for a jump scare and it's like the friend like walking in, it's like like the music's like slowly intense yeah. you're like something's coming something's coming and it's the friend that comes around the corner like oh hey hey it's me what's yeah. up yeah and then yeah. it like makes you jump like i i mean uh, th- yeah but anyways and i mean there's aspects of comedy romance drama horror it's a great blend of everything so if you're going into it expecting a horror movie you're going to be disappointed but if you look at it in other ways then you can see that he's really tackling a lot of different issues yeah. I think if you look at the core elements of it, it is the most grotesque and violent breakup movie ever. That's what yeah. it, that's what it is. I think that's what he was <laughs> trying to get at was, and it's actually I've seen interviews on it that he himself was going through a rough breakup yes. at the time. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and so I think this is a way of him putting, kind of like how we feel. Like if you mm-hmm. go through a bad breakup, like you want to like do these kind of like like violent acts or like you're like oh I hate yeah. them so much like. I just want to kill him or something, but you know, you don't do that. But this is his way of putting those kind of feelings to film. Imagine breaking up with that person and then like the next year they come out with a movie like that and you're watching that shit. Like yeah. I made this dude's <laughs> life shit. Like, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean like the genres of what's going on in this movie, that like, that's why I rate it such a as a whole, as a it's movie, very 10 unique. out of 10. There's so like, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. There's so much going on. And I also will advise you should definitely see it twice because you will not get everything at once. It begs for multiple viewings. And, so, and a good and something that uh, me and my fiance Lainey were talking about is that uh, shout at out the Lainey. At, yeah, shouts out the wife. You what's up, Lainey? Hey. She's she's in the corner. The corner. <laughs> um, we were talk, literally talking about it on the way here, so I get my mind fresh about it. So at the beginning, um, I don't know if you said it or not. There's a uh, painting tapestry thing yeah i wanted that, to get into all yeah. the pain yeah. so a big thing in this movie that we talk about visuals it's not just like the mushroom trip but dude the, literally everything is written on the walls everything yeah and i literally mean it everything is in, written in the first frame of the movie it explains yeah. the entire plot it spoils the, the whole thing it i mean most you don't, points, you, don't, you don't understand anything. When you yeah. first see it, you're like, what is this? Uh, yeah, I don't know what the yeah. fuck that is. Well, if you look at it the second time, you're like, oh, this is the entire plot of the movie yep. and the first shot. Something uh, I got into after I saw it with him the second time, 
and this was uh, Zach and Laney actually. They thought they brought up a point that they think that the death of uh, what is her name, uh, Danny, the death of Danny's uh, family uh, was influenced by the cult. And I, I don't. Here's why I don't think that. It's a fun theory, and I like it. I don't disagree with it completely. I like playing on almost anything as long as there's some structure to it. But we were talking about it in the car, and we talked about it after seeing it the second time. I didn't really believe it after I saw it the second time, but when we're talking about it, I always kept bringing up, like, well, it's not in the painting. And the reason I say it's not in the painting is in the beginning. So in like when it's showing the the whole thing in the beginning you'll notice the first part is her family being connected by those tubes mm-hmm. and they're all floating around and whatever. Um, so in that portion of the painting, it's just her family. There's no one else in that section besides them. And in the rest of the painting, you see Pell, I think is how you say his name, uh, like playing like the piper or the pipe or whatever. Like, kind of lead, like, you know, the story, you know, the Piper Piper. leading the rats, you know. So, and he's in the painting more than just once after that. Leading, like, his friends to the cult and everything like that. But he's not in the first beginning of it. So, I said, like, in the portion of her family, I said, so I don't think that they're influenced by it. Well, then Lainey said, well, I feel like they have to because in that scene where she gets crowned the May Queen and she's walking through tripping balls, uh... She starts, like, you're, you're, like, noticing the visuals on her crown. Like, they're all, like, the flowers are breathing. You see the fucked up face in the tree. And people are, like, getting all in her face, like, I'm so glad to meet you. And, like, their faces are getting all fucked up. And eventually you see her mom walk by. Mm -hmm. I don't know if y'all noticed that either. Her mom just casually walks by. And then her dad. And then her sister. Yeah. And I noticed it the first time, too. But I just assumed that she was just having, like... A bad trip and a weird trip at the same time. Or just a bad trip all in all. And so, not that that has anything to do with it necessarily, but Lainey thinks that's how they're connecting both of them. They think that, I guess, kind of like how hered- in Hereditary, where the pole scene, where Charlie gets her head knocked off, that was somehow the cult had something to do with that. She thinks that the, the cult had something to do with uh, her family's death in Midsommar. Now, I think the only way I can confirm this is when the movie comes out and overanalyze the shit out of that scene where they're doing the uh, crime scene because there's there's I, I couldn't find it like I I looked hard as hell I could not find it any sort of evidence for the cult or the symbols or anything but I'm sure to, there is I'm to sure. add to that I. I didn't see it myself when I yeah. saw it the first time, but I watched several recaps and reviews of it, and I saw multiple people say that, and I don't, and I don't know which shot it, it's in with her parents, but there is, like a flower crown like type looking. Are you serious? Thing like in the room, <sighs> but and and to kind of just go off of what you said about how the oh influence God. of it is, I think that Ari Aster did a, a great job of when he adds in like the glimpses of like the family being like she sees them involved it's only when Mm -hmm. she's on the drugs so it's a it's a great way to blend like reality and what she's perceiving yeah and so it it fills in with it really well but i i would say like it's it's nice to think about that that he might have influenced it all but 
Lainey See? literally mentioned what you just said, by the way, about the Flower Crown. She said there has. She said, "What if we get the movie and there's like something we missed like that? Because there is, there's a painting also to fast forward mm-hmm. when there are like when they have that weird argument after the uh, after uh, fi- after Danny finds out about the trip. The trip. There's a there's a painting of a bear. Yeah. Uh, like being pet by a girl wearing a crown. Mm-hmm. There's another painting of a sea monster. Uh, I, I can't remember what the symbolism of that was, but uh, there's that. Um, there's, I mean, obviously the symbols in the the house that where they the bunks where they slept and everything. Right. But that's crazy. If I, I'm, I'm very so, excited if that's true. That's gonna that's put that puts so much more into the movie. That's like I felt because Zach brought it up and I said no. If that's true, that's just bad writing because there's nothing symbolism wise in it. I would say so. that based on. Pell's, like, the way that his character is portrayed when he's talking to Danny about the, about going to Sweden to go out to this trip, mm-hmm. that, like, the way that his character is shown, he doesn't have any type of, I, I, I can't think, I can't grasp the word I'm looking for, but he doesn't seem to do it in a harmful way. Like, he seems really interested in helping her out he's saying i think this is good for you i really oh, like think... empathy for her or yeah he, like it, it looks like that the way that his character is supposed to be portrayed that he really wants her to go not because he wants all these people to die and get no sacrificed. he wants he wants to look oh never mind he, well, okay. he, he wants danny to go because he really does think that it will be good for her and that yeah. she'll feel better because it's explained later that he lost both of his parents in a fire i think it was or something he keeps saying, yeah fire yeah he keeps telling her he's like danny i lost both of my parents in a fire and i went to and i found the people here he's like and it really helped me and he's like i think it'll be good for you i really i believe that he's sincere you think he was that. sincere mm-hmm. so, but okay good i was gonna say but i i think that him putting in these small bits of symbolism just I mean, he just wants to blur it a little bit. He doesn't want mm-hmm. it to be so straightforward. He's like, right. oh, yeah, he influ- like he did it. Like We know that he planned to bring him there to have him sacrifice. Like, we- he doesn't want us to 100% know that. He wants there to be right. okay. some, convolu- some mm-hmm. details that are convoluted in there. Right. And I think he did a great job at that. But I really think that Pell was sincere in wanting to bring her there to help her out. And then... I think he wanted to just impregnate her. Well, he failed. Well, I mean, eventually. I mean, I'm sure. Well, that's all speculation. I mean, yeah. that's not hinted at, but... So so my, my thing about that is is that, yeah, I mean, I, I think some of these theories are kind of cool to jump on, uh, but after really sitting and thinking about the movie, I think those instances, because, like, for that, it, it's Danny's apartment with, what's his name, Christian. It's, like, her apartment, right? Or both of their apartments. They have right. those... They, always have, they have the same exact imagery that you would see when you're actually at the camp. Uh, right. in the cult mm-hmm. so I, I and I so I think just because he throws in some stuff like the crown in, in the parents room so technically every main character has uh, something in their room that they shouldn't have in their room right because it's just it's Ari Aster just playfully it's foreshadowing right is really all right. it is so I, I think just because they have that weird fucked up painting in the background I don't think that means that like oh hey the cult had something to do with this or it, even even with the crown in the room you don't think uh, so? I don't think so because, like I said, there there would be no reason. Okay, why do they have the same exact painting they would have in like oh, whatever? So you're, you're talking about like how Pixar throws in like yeah. So like, I, I just think yeah. I just think it's small details. I think okay. it's Ari Aster being like playfully. He's just foreshadowing the events because right. yeah, I think he's, even he's some showing of, off how yes. good he is at foreshadowing. It could be yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so that, that's a, yeah, that's a big thing in this movie. <laughs> so that's something that I wanted to touch on. So this movie is uh, spoiled at every single turn if you're paying enough attention. 
Every single point in the movie, he spoils it from the very beginning, from the very first painting. So every, and a lot of the background stuff, if you see an interesting painting, it tells a part of the story. Right. Um, I remember when I was watching it, uh, the, the first thing that I noticed was when they walk into the barn where all the cult members sleep and in the, in the far back where they have all the murals on the wall in kind of like a small little portion, you saw the cliff and somebody being thrown off the cliff. So yeah. when the cliff scene came up and the people jumped off, I knew that was going to happen because I, I saw it in the little thing. I'm like, oh yeah. shit, that looks just like the cliff. Oh my God, this is what's going to happen. And that's when I noticed he was spoiling shit with the with all the pictures. And so like, and he even does so like not just in the background, but purposely. So like right. when it shows the whole... Uh, it goes like frame by frame the on love, those blankets. The love, the love story yes. segment oh, yeah. between Maya and yeah, Christian. Exactly. So mm -hmm. um, that's a good one too. So one of the things I looked at when I was when I was researching this movie a little bit um, as to why he was doing that, uh, which I mean, this could I think this this was just an opinion piece. It might have had a little bit of what Ari Aster wanted, but one of the things that these people were saying was that the reason he's being so purposeful in spoiling these movie this movie at every scene is because this movie is about a breakup. And is that you can see the writing on the wall with their deterioration in their relationship, or when That's you're in, or when you're in it. a bad relationship, you know how it's going to end. That's a crazy good way. Of and looking at and it, the yeah. ending is it feels like the world is ending and everything's going up in flames when it finally is over. So the fact that he's spoiling it at every turn, it's stuff that you should honestly see coming if you're paying enough attention. Right. But you're not. You're you're forcing yourself to not. You're you're minding on the other things that don't really matter because you're mm -hmm. so invested in this fucking deteriorating relationship. Right. So I thought that uh, was really interesting and that, um, cause what was it? He had said something about, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a matter. I'm like, their relationship is incredibly physical, abusive yeah. the entire time. Like not, 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 physically, not physically, like mentally abusive. So like she, she's trying desperately to hold on to this guy who is very emotionally distant. He doesn't want to be in the relationship at all. And he's, he was going to end it until her family right. died. And he's in. kind of trapped in it. Yes, right. And that's all it is. And well, he's trapped. He's trapped in it. Like he's trapped in it from that instance. But yeah, well, he. I, mean, I guess that's the only redeeming quality of Christian is that he feels that he's a good enough person to not break up with her since yeah. her family right. just got butchered which i mean if that's your best quality you're still a piece yeah. of shit right that's the only that's the only like that's yeah. the only human trait about him that's like right yeah so uh one of the, another thing that i saw about this relating it to a breakup that i thought was really cool so it's like at every twist and turn you know christian's doing this kind of like fucked up it's uh, not it's not extremely fucked up but it's just something yeah you're just, just like, like wow what a dick nah, you're like come yeah. on man yeah you can exactly do better so, than so that. he's doing he's doing that kind of stuff he's being emotionally distant and at every turn Things keep happening that people should be paying attention to, but for whatever reason, it, especially her and her relationship, she's just like, no, I have to keep trying, right? Well, the thing that finally makes her like, fuck, this is irredeemable, is when she witnesses him cheating through the keyhole. Mm -hmm. And that, what I saw, that was kind of like a lot of people's perspectives on relationship, right? It's like you're willing to put up with all this bullshit that you know you shouldn't, but the one line that a lot of people aren't willing to forgive or the one thing that will finally make you fucking do it and break up, right? is having your spouse cheat on you. Well, and that's also speculation. I mean, he was raped. Well, yeah, there was... Uh, yeah, I saw some stuff on that, too, but... Uh, I, I I, mean, yeah, I guess... Kind of. I don't uh, know. You don't think so? I mean, I guess you could really say that way he was given drugs and he didn't really want to do them, and then he ended up having an affair. Well, not an affair, but he cheated on her. But I, 
I wouldn't say that that's like he was really he was literally raped. I mean, I feel like he knew what he was doing. Well, also, I mean, there were multiple points where that chick was like, you know, really eye fucking him or whatever, and he seemed. Oh kind no, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I think there was something there because, like, yeah. I mean, he was eyeballing her too. But I mean, here's where I think I think where it draws the line of him cheating slash it's rape, where the whole eating her pubic hair. And the whole drinking her pubic hair pie, and drinking her blood, her menstrual blood, you you knew about that, right? Yeah. Okay, just make yeah. sure every, that everyone knew yeah. that. So, like, th- I mean, obviously he didn't like that, and I, th- I mean, I assume he 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 knew it and it was fucked up. And then whenever he talked to that uh, the other elder in that house about it, he's like, I think I ate her pube or whatever he said, which is kind of funny. But like, whenever uh, he brought that up, I don't think he was attracted to her because pretty much from that point onward when they're having the dance and she just kind of falls off like when they're dancing and she just walks by him he's kind of like he's really uncomfortable like he's sitting there and he's like kind he of looking con- at her he looks conflicted yeah like uh, is that you think so i i i would agree with chandler a little bit conflicted? more i would say i mean maybe slightly uncomfortable but more just like yeah he's not he's, sure like he like he's stuck between wanting to keep caring for Danny. I think it shows it visually in the maid dance scene when she keeps looking over at him and he just keeps looking at the other girl. Like, he literally mm-hmm. has two options, like, mm-hmm. that he can focus on Danny while she's doing right. her maid dance, or he keeps focusing on the other girl who's being I guess, flirtatious with them. I guess for me, it's hard to kind of tell because he's, like, that dude, if there's anyone that got a fucked up trip, it is Christian. That dude got fucked up. Like, I bet he had high, the best, most insane high of his life. Like I was, that, gonna, I was gonna say the best post nut clarity of his life. <laughs> whenever he got done with her, he gets done. He's like, "Holy!" He literally shit. got up and he was just like, "Yeah, <laughs> I just know this is wrong, so I'm just gonna run." I'm out this moth. <laughs> Deuces. Yeah. But uh, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. So and like, what's confusing for me, I guess, in that sense, is that he's so fucked up on so many levels of drugs confusion and like you said like conflicted on the whole danny thing he's so under the influence that i feel like his brain is just scrambled and he's just going with the flow eventually that's what i think um just because like he like like right after he ran out he ran into that little barn and saw uh simon I think yeah, that's his name. Simon. Simon. And he saw the whole Blood Eagle thing, by the way. If you know what Blood Eagle is. It's like an it's an old like Nordic. It's I guess. Vi- yeah, it's yeah. Viking. Viking like yeah. torture. Yeah, where they technique. take the lungs out the back and Yeah, shit. they like like cut you open from the back and like yeah. tear like your skin apart. But that is scary to think about too, but I couldn't really tell like in the breathing. scene because it was so quick. But he's alive in that, and that's part of the yeah. torture technique well, is they cut you open. While you're alive? Yeah. And oh, you're okay. still alive. Yeah. And that's why we saw the lungs. It wasn't just his trip. Like he actually okay. was if you I was yeah, gonna ask that yeah. because there there was something else I noted when before I went in to see it a second time is that they said there's parts where you can tell when people are tripping and not tripping. And it's and how I noticed it is I would look at the trees in the back and they'd be doing this like waving shit. Right. Because there's times where it's like a point of view like how i'm looking at you where they're tripping but it's not fucked up looking but like like christian would have a horrible looking trip going on and like in danny's eyes like he's just chilling there but he's like wigging out but or but danny can be like looking and nothing's going on it's just a normal like nothing's happening but then they'll change the point of view in a scene where 
uh, Christian's looking at her, and it's all fucking trippy and fucked up. Like, it, it's really slight, but if you look at it, some of them are real noticeable, like faces kind of contorting a little bit, and then flowers talking, but then, like, the trees and the face thing, it's... I wanted yeah. to add there, too, and... <clears throat> I mean, I don't know myself, but from what I've seen from, like, other people's opinions on it, yeah, is that it's, like, and if I had to guess, I would say that it's, I mean, it it looks the most realistic to me, and from what, hearing what other people say, and from what I can see with it, like, whenever I see most, like, like, trip scenes, like, when people take, like, hallucinogens in movies, like, they see, like, purple elephants like running through the wall and shit but this is like so subtle and like from what i've seen because i saw like a post on reddit or something like all these people are like oh man this is the most accurate like i've heard that too representation of like hallucinogens that i've seen in movies i thought it was it was really pretty it was so cool like seeing like the grass like meld into her feet that was crazy stuff like yeah. that which is also a good symbolism how she like blends in that, like with the flowers I was and whatnot about to... like right at the end like she just kind of morphs into like yeah. this nature so that that was the thing that apparently was subtle symbolism too that i've seen in multiple uh analysis of it is that um from the start when she starts tripping like the very beginning where they just take a little bit of mushrooms you know her hand and the her grass. feet kind of like yeah. morph in but it's slight well apparently as she continues she continually starts to trip in other times of taking uh, mushrooms, she gets more and more engulfed by the uh, by the like the forestry or the flowery. Um, that to the point that like at the very end, she's like completely engulfed in flowers. And what it's supposed to symbolize is like her be- like eventually being one with the cult at the end. So like it uh, as the movie progresses, you know, it gets more and more like it, it wraps around her. And then at the very end, she's literally in a she's, giant mound of flowers. She's blossoming. That too. Yeah, yeah I could see that too. Yeah. Because it really makes her come yeah. full circle, her yeah. character arc, where she starts as, like, having nothing. And that's, what we we see that in the first, what, like, five minutes of the movie, where she mm-hmm. is about as low as she can get at the, at the end. And I, I really don't think, like, in the whole movie, I'd have to watch it again, but I, I, I don't think that she smiles, like, throughout, like, the whole movie. And, like, it's kind of it like it's just, like, smile. a quick little, yeah, like, yeah, here and there, mm, not, like, just, like, yeah. a little, mm, like, she's forced to smile. But, like, right at the end, it's, like, the first, like, genuine smile yeah. we see. Yeah. So and it's, it's fucked up. Like, yeah. I, like, it, I've ne- that's what's so great about that in shot. There's, she expresses, like, every emotion in, like, one shot. Yeah. Like, she goes from, like, her hundredth cry of the day to, like, she's just kind of staring and having that, insane realization that like she has no burden anymore and then like like this weight's finally she, lifted she, off of her she's happy like she's experienced hap- she, she's experiencing happiness that no sane person can experience and it, she portrays it like you just know by the look on her face it's not like a normal happiness like she's just like you can see it, the restlessness in her eyes she's just kind of like I, I can't exp- I can't do it yeah. very well but she's just like uh, I thought you were spot on, man. Yeah. Okay. My bad. <laughs> I, I, thanks. So one thing I want to I want to touch on that a little bit. So um, uh, one one of the big things and the reason there's so many drugs in this, from what I've seen, is that obviously being on drugs is kind of a representation of having control, because when you submit to taking drugs or especially like hallucinogens, the idea is you're supposed to relinquish some of that control and you're just supposed to go with it. Right. Um, Relax so, your mind and float downstream. Yeah. Exactly. Timothy Leary. Yeah. Uh, so that's so that's the idea of when they're when they're doing the drugs is just to relinquish control and go with it. And uh, so at the start of the movie, when everything's happening, you know, Danny is in this position of utter power powerlessness. Right. Her 
family dies around her. She's in this deteriorating relationship. And as things go on, she just has, she has no control over really anything that's happening in her life. And she's just trying to go through with it, making sense of the pieces that she has. Well, then at the very end, she's literally, she's given the utmost power possible because she's crowned May Queen. She pretty much has, you know, the cult wrapped around her now. And she's literally given the power to choose uh, life or death, is life or death in her hands. So uh, the ultimate power. Yeah. So she's given the ultimate power at the very end. And obviously we know what she chooses. She chooses to, you know, be rid of the, the last thing she's really holding on to and you know, she can buy, she can finally be free of whatever, of the, you know, emotional burden of her previous life. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, that was something that I thought was really neat was just relating like all these drug trips to just a sense of power. I thought that was really cool. One thing there's actually, now that I think about it, I'll give this a little 9.8 out of 10. And I I keep forgetting this part. Ruben, Ruben scale is moving as we speak. Ruben's importance in the movie. Who? The inbred kid. Oh, yeah, we haven't heard uh, him at all. Well, see, that's the point. Yeah. Like, that's what I was going to say, is that Ruben, like, in the, and also, before this movie came out, I overanalyzed the trailer for, like, a month. Like, I was just like, this movie's going to be fucking crazy. And they spoil a lot, again, if you look in the trailer. It literally shows the cooking bodies. It shows someone jumping off a cliff. It shows Ru- Ruben's in it, even though. They show that little clip of his, like, fucked up face. It's a he. Yeah, Ruben. Mm-hmm. Um... But uh, I was, like, excited to see his importance. And he's literally the least important thing in the movie. Like, he is such a just filler kind of, like... Which, not to disregard Midsummer's quality of a movie, but it's just kind of, like... They, they kind of highlighted on it, but it's... But, it's, but maybe they highlighted, they highlighted on it to kind of throw you off, thinking, oh, like, that's an important character. It's, but it's, it, har- it's hard to... It's not, in the- a minute and a half or like a minute trailer to explain like what the movie's about and i don't think you oh, right. really want to so right but even even in just the seeing, movie just seeing the imagery of right. him like you know like oh that's kind of that's a fucked up looking face or something before like, be kind of weird before the movie before i even saw the movie i 100 percent was like i think that's like he looks like like he looks like a severely like deformed kid that's obvious but my first thought was it's a cult and i'm like i bet he's inbred I'm just going to take a while, I guess he's inbred. Or it's someone that was severely beat the fuck up. And it didn't look like Danny, and it didn't look like any other important female character in the trailer. Like Sloth from the Goonies. <laughs> Baby Ruth. Uh, meta. We're breaking the third wall. I'm going to zoom in right there, like on my face, meta. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was the only thing I really disliked about it, was just how Ruben was... And like they they they, uh, the whole him being in a cloud, uh, doing the painting during that ceremony, is a little weird. But I think that's why they did it. It's just kind of that sheep's like wool, like. Well, yeah, it wasn't a real cloud. I didn't think it was, but. Well, uh, there's there's something I missed there too because I remember hearing something when I was watching reviews on it, like that there's some kind of symbolism to do with like, it being sheep's wool or something. I could just be talking on my ass, maybe too. But well, I mean, there's so much. Know, here's yeah. a way to interpret it. Now that I'm thinking about it, is because the importance of Ruben to the story was that he draw, he paints and draws, and the elders interpret it. So, what if they have him on a cloud, like he's God, and he's drawing out these scenarios for? He's creating their scripture, and he's God, 
and so that's why they put him in a cloud. Like those paintings of God, like just over a cloud. Like maybe that's just, what it is. I think it could just be a way to symbolize that because they, and they say in the movie that they purposely inbred or inbreed this person because it makes them pure. And maybe they just have them sitting on clouds because when we see someone on clouds, we think like angelic and there's like no faults in them. So it could be. They said they, they kind purposely. Of, Mm-hmm. Yeah, because apparently when you, when you have a limited me- mental capacity, you don't overburden yourself with the thoughts that we oh. normally would. So he has a complete unclouded mind, and that's why they have him it's as pure. The, yeah, it's right. Like, I yeah. just didn't know it was like, uh, well, I mean, obviously it is purpose because the, everyone's a fam- everyone's family at that point, and you run out of people to breed with. That's why they but, bring people in to, right, to breed with. Which is why Christian, I think more than just my thought he was attractive, they were like, dude, he's... A clean slate like he's it's gonna be like a non Some free dicking dude yeah. yeah she's probably getting tired of her second cousins or something I'm well she was, a virgin. she was a virgin yeah. i'm yeah. just kidding yeah. uh yeah no i'll agree with you on that uh because i mean there's a lot in the movie that's purposeful i mean almost everything that happens that's like the like only thing that doesn't matter. that is that is one thing that yeah. does seem a little strange i feel like that's ad for just more like what the fuck value more than anything I agree. just to kind of throw you off yeah because like because like you said that his slight importance of the story is like their scripture and then also it kind of gives you a little bit of why they bring other people in there is right. to keep from inbreeding. However, they immediately contradict that with, because they tell the two researchers different things. Yeah. Because they tell Christian and then the black dude one other, uh, two different well, things. Well, they did that on purpose. Right, exactly. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. They immediately yeah. contradict it with. His name is Josh. His name's Josh? Yeah. Okay. That's the black guy? Yeah. Okay. okay. So Josh and Christian, they, they tell them two different things. So it's like they bring people in to keep from inbreeding, but at the same time, they also do it on purpose, so they have soothsayers. So, uh, yeah, I'll agree with you. There's not really a whole, a whole not, lot of it's point. Not, it's not this. explored much. Yeah. I, I think it's really just there to give off that kind of strangeness vibe. Yeah, exactly. You, you yeah. just see, and you're just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't make any sense, and he doesn't explain right. it, so. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And like you said, it maybe was done with that intent of maybe thinking, hey, this is going to be more important. Because, like, it, it's to the point where he sneaks in, he's trying to take a picture of the text, right? right? So you're So when you're watching just that part, you're like, okay, maybe the text is, like, super important. Well, not really. Like When you think about it, all of the deaths are deserved as well. Mark is completely deserved. Well, he didn't mean to, but I, it I, is deserved. I, I, I mean, I guess he deserves to have some kind of... I don't think he deserves to die. Well, but... and I'm saying as in, like, it wasn't for no reason. So, one thing I, right. one thing I did see on this was that most of the deaths, if not all of them, are done when the, the newcomers, all the, all the main uh, people in the story deny the deny the cults uh religion in one way or another mm-hmm. not just religion but their, their customs in one way or another. i never oh I never so so oh, when they jump off the cliff simon and the other connie. british chick connie simon and connie are the only people who have a violent reaction to it right mm-hmm. so they're the first two that are killed and then uh, the one dude breaks the breaks their law of the no pictures of the sacred text mm-hmm. so he's killed mark is pisses an asshole and pisses on a tree. tree just don't piss on the sacred yeah tree, bro. i mean come on it's easy yeah um so he pisses on the tree. He's killed. So the only people left at the end of that are just Christian and uh, Danny, and they haven't done anything to disrespect the cult. And matter of fact, they probably would have let Christian live, but it was her choice if he wanted to be a sacrifice, if she wanted him to be a sacrifice or not. So if you just stuck with what they were doing and you didn't really disobey them, they didn't care. Matter of fact, they yeah. want they want more people in it. Well, that's so, what I'm that's what I'm yeah. getting at. Is that like technically like in our eyes and kind of like what Christian said? You know, I'm just trying to be open-minded about it. He said another word. Uh, Try to be open to their culture yeah, more or something. Yeah, which, that's a good point. And, um, like he said, like, sometimes people, you know, they jump off cliffs and we put our people in an old person's home. You know, it's like, it's a cultural divide. But. I, and I'd still, I, w- I probably wouldn't have the same reaction as, like, Connie and some, but I'd be like, 
You know okay. what? I'm, I'm fucking, out of here. I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> Name, okay, that's okay. Then there's a second thing. Now that I'm talking about it, I didn't like Christian. Okay, so Christian and Josh's reaction to this, which brings up another side point about how Josh knew what was gonna happen mm-hmm. and didn't say shit about it. That's fucking weird. That's just like some really weird side, like side note personality trait about Josh. That's like you didn't say shit about it. Like you didn't. You knew what was gonna happen. He wasn't like it wasn't. He was like, oh my god, I'm gonna warn y'all. Like he didn't think to warn Danny. He didn't think to warn anyone. Josh knew. Yeah. So I I actually have a, a rebuttal yeah. to that. So th- the way I view that is okay. So he's clearly smart. Well, yeah, he's a, he's a dick too. But he's he's clearly he's really smart. Josh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So in anthropology too. Yeah. So he 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 understands culture. Yeah. He, so he's very he's very familiar said. with all of this kind of stuff. Um. However, even given that, he, this is the 21st century. And so, and they're in Sweden, which is a, you know, it's a modernized country. It's not anything weird. So even though he knows what that ritual means in like a textbook sense, like this is what people did back in the Viking days. They threw people off cliffs. I'm sure in a 21st century setting being like, okay, oh, you're going to do one of these things. Like, all right. That's literally kind of his reaction was like, all right. When they ask him about it, he just like kind of shrugs it. Yeah, then they it, actually do it. So I'm sure he was fucking shocked too. Well, but that, and that's another thing though, like their reaction like, I feel like is a, I mean, obviously, it's made for the story. Like, uh, Danny's reaction, completely realistic in my right. eyes. just in shock. Uh, Christian and Josh's reaction is a little weird. So, so like, this is this it, is another thing I will touch on, at least with Josh. I don't know about Christian, but at least with Josh. So, yeah. he is super obsessive with researching these people, right? Because, you know, that's his thing, anthropology. Right. And then so, he, he makes that... That's what he wants to do right. is his... What thesis. Is his thesis, thesis. On, and yeah, so yeah. his thesis is on uh, these people and their their culture and all everything in that regard. Mm-hmm. So they go out, and I'm sure he's thinking that same kind of thing, right? Like, oh yeah, they're really going to do this. Then they actually fucking do it. And now, from a researcher's point of view, he's like, "This is the most interesting thing to ever land in my fucking lap. I have to study this." So, and he's you already see that he's super obsessive about it, anyways. Right. So while he might be freaked out, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. He's also like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. I have to fucking like do my shit on this now. Like they still do this shit in the 21st century. So, I mean, I I don't think it's, I think it's still ridiculous if any human watches another human jump off a cliff to be like, it just just bugged me. I guess more on Christian's side because Christian was just like, let me copy your thesis, your thesis, And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I mean, I I 100% would have acted like Simon. I think anyone, which was the point. But, uh, yeah, it just bugged me. Just kind of bugged me a little bit. I don't yeah. know. Well, I, I, th- I guess you could also look at that as, like, a way that, diff- like, how you can see that people deal with death. interpret death or, like, like shocking things differently. Like, not everyone's going to have the same reaction. Like, yeah. not everyone's going to, like, freak out and be like, what the fuck are y'all doing? This is this is fucking crazy. Oh, my God. What are you doing? Some people are just going to be like, I like not say anything, be completely speechless, and, and just some are gonna be in complete denial and just act like it didn't happen, like Christian yeah. did. There's already dealing with grief and death, like exactly. He's master, he's yeah. fucking, he's good. That's a good point. I he's never thought man. about this. This is all right. It's all right. not surface level stuff. No, not at all. Um, y'all did I? Did you say you read the script? Uh, no, I kind of I looked at some things that analyzed the script, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually go in and read all the details. Did I, you? Now, I want to watch it again with subtitles. So I feel like there's so many like things that like I can miss that like I didn't like quite catch on. Yeah. And I know there's one it's one that I did like catch in theaters is uh and it's pretty interesting too just more foreshadowing is uh when they first get there and they're like all like watching like the people like dancing around they're like all holding hands and like running through the fields and stuff and uh Mark's like 
what are they doing? Or he's like, what, like, like what, what's going on? They're like, oh, and Pell's like, oh, they're playing uh, Skin the Fool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And Mark gets skinned; his face gets cut off, and, and he is considered the fool. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just like stuff like that. It's just like he's also wearing a Joker's outfit. Yes, At yeah. Ari Aster, you sly bastard! He's a goddamn genius. <laughs> there we go. Oh man, if I was doing titles, that would be it. But we're just calling this movie review. Oops. Um. The oh yeah, sorry. So the point I brought that up for uh, in the script, I re- I pretty much like. I kind of read it in like in between two days, and then I saw someone uh, talk about how they read the script and things they noticed that was different versus the movie. The mo- movie apparently was supposed to be thirty minutes longer, and for about a couple weeks it was sitting on an NC seventeen rating. I saw and I, I, go, go, I was going to say I've, I've heard rumors that there like might be a a director's cut or something i fucking yeah. hope so because oh, there is shit in this script that i want more dude yeah. for, okay so let me just tell you what happened so you see what happens to if simon's is, girlfriend hold on. if there if there is a director's cut and it's like you kind of spoil it in the script here i don't want to know about it you don't want me to tell you uh-uh i want to see it well you, you know what happens to <laughs> well, like i know but if there's like some other like element or something that's added i want to see it it's like another it ritual played. Okay, then yeah, hold off. Don't oh, don't dive too into it. Sorry. Uh, do you have read it? Oh, you don't want to read the script. You want to wait for the director's cut. If it if Damn. it goes over what yeah, could happen, I, in I, director's I did cut. see what you were talking about though, and uh, yeah, I, I think he's in the process of trying to get a director's cut. I heard he did an AMA thing on Reddit. Yeah. and he talked about how he wants to. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think I that would be really does. cool. I'd Me be too. I'd be down to see some of the extra. Um, some more of the narrative. I think that would be Either really way, cool to see. I won't go into detail, but uh, the 30 minutes extra is very worth it. Like, uh, I think he said he it might be around 30 minutes extra. Is that what... Is that one scene? Is it one scene, there's, there's really? Two, there's really important-wise, there's two scenes. And then just kind of filler and between then other stuff. There was something... important. Well, there was something in the trailer that was also left out. There's a scene where you see people... Lev- like, you see feet come off the ground. And I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, I, I kept seeing that in the trailer, and I never saw it in the movie. And I was oh, like, yeah. that's that, a deleted Yeah, I noticed so, so is that what would garner it to have the NC-17 rating? Those I two think so, and... because what happens in it. And yeah. it's it's okay, no, it's nothing it's nothing like, for the reason of it being an NC-17 movie, it's because of what they do. It's hard to me not to spoil I, it. I'm sorry. But either way, yeah. it's, it's something you won't see as a big deal. But you're like, makes sense. Why would be? I think Sawyer mentioned something about like vaginas, and that's why they wanted to, like, they wanted to show more of that kind of. I, I don't think you've it's piqued any of that. my curiosity. <laughs> Chandler's in for sure now. I can't wait. Give me more. Uh, but uh, it's really good. There's uh, there's like two scenes. Oh yeah, sorry to go on that whole levitating thing. Uh, apparently, that and this isn't gonna spoil anything. That this is a scene that was cut out because apparently already saw it as like. It was a last minute cutout because he didn't think it made sense, but apparently it was the scene where Christian walks in and sees Maya laying there, and Christian's so fucked up that he has his vision and inst- he thinks he's walking, but he's just fucking floating, and he just lays on Maya, and then they start fucking. It's not an important thing, but in the trailer it looks like he's fucking levitating. Yeah, yeah, I've, like I've like seen, in Hereditary where she just fucking goes up doing the fucking thing, but uh, uh. Yeah, if you haven't, if you want to read the script, I would advise it. But if you're gonna wait, then wait. So but, another, well, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because I was gonna look at the script. Now, I'm glad I told you. And yeah. if it would have had, I mean, it's not a spoil because it's the script. But if it would have went into details of the 
possibly deleted scenes. Uh, I don't want to read it. I want to see how he plays it into the movie. I want to get the full experience first time. I hate that they do that. I hate that they have to cut. I say have to. I assume they have to cut some things. Not always. I think a lot of it has to deal with like timing and budget restraints more than anything else. And so. to play to your theatrical audience. Because the people yeah. that like the movie are going to buy the director's cut. But if you... I, I think if he would have had it in there, and even if it wasn't an NC-17, right? Because if you get that, then I don't even think you can't show that in theaters, right? There's probably select, no, you can. It's probably like select theaters, though. Right, but not as mainstream as you could. I've never seen an NC-17 well, movie, NC, so. NC-17 is just uh, literally just no children at all. Like, our yeah. movies are different where they can be, they can have a guardian. But NC-17 is like no children period like it's like no not even well, I, I know that a lot of uh directors in the, the it, ha- it happens to a lot of movies but the first one that i can think of is uh brian de palma's uh his original cut of scarface was nc-17 and it took like him giving it to the uh, what would it be like the rating mpaa I think? yeah the mpaa mpaa or whatever it is whoever puts the age restrictions on the movies like he had to give them like four like five drafts before they like find them are like okay it's r and he's like let's do it <laughs> yeah so that kind of sucks that's like a director has to like completely well not change but cut out parts of yeah. their work yeah especially to, if you, yeah to make more money i mean i guess it takes away well, from but if you get to do a director's cut then you you get it back a bit, after I, I saw hereditary something similar came out about charlie's death being more graphic and it was like the it was like a week after the movie aired and uh, Ari talked about how he was again sitting on another NC-17 rating because Charlie's death was supposed to be horrific looking, and it was already but, pretty. Well, no, 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 no. Gruesome. I'm talking about more, like when she died, like when she got killed. It was supposed to be more mm. brutal, but I think they did it well because you didn't see it, and you're just kind of like again left on wonder what the fuck happened, and you're just to fill in it. Like, oh shit! Like, if, if you don't, yeah. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier, just how horror works. If you don't see what is visually scary, like, mm-hmm. like monster movies, like, uh, I mean, we could go off on tangents here, but like, I would say Alien, the first one, like, it's like the alien Super is shown maybe like before like the final confrontation. I'll try not to spoil Alien, but it's shown maybe like for like five times or something but like not knowing like what like your creature looks like and like having your mind like mm-hmm. fill in the gaps it's even more effective yeah it's more scary yeah. about mm-hmm. what your mind can think of whereas yep. if you see it like all the time you're like man that thing's pretty scary looking yeah and that's about it but if you're trying to think about like, oh man i don't know what it's gonna look like oh it could be this oh it could be this and your mind's going in different directions yeah. it yeah. makes it more scary well i feel like that that plays into storytelling too just it in does. general like so that's why horror is also it's something that's difficult to do because like in a story if you're writing something if you spell out every single little thing that happens there's nothing left to the imagination no you don't want to hold your audience's right. hand the whole time exactly like you want to give them enough to where they can run with but you don't want to also give them so little as to like it, there's literally any possible ending to the movie but yeah that just goes with storytelling in general like you don't you don't want to hold someone's hand so in the realm of horror if you're constantly taking away all the mystery from all from every single turn and that, and that can it, also be because I, I see this a lot too and not in every horror movie but in a lot that there's uh exposition scenes that just go on for like way too long just too long like yeah. they just have to have like like so much exposition just to explain like 
have you, what's happening or like why something's happening where it's just yeah. like okay have you seen just, the have you seen like psycho that's a good explanation of that so i don't the think original the original psycho yeah, yeah i haven't seen it god so, i need you to. know you need so i i won't i mean we all know what happens I, yeah so i think originally hitchcock did not want to put in the exposition scene but I think the the company was too afraid that no one would I've, understand. I've heard that. No one would understand the ending, so he had to like put when, in that exposition. When, Nor- when Norman Bates is and spoiler for Psycho, if you haven't, I mean, I mean, it's been like fifty it's, years. It's, Grow like, up. it's like it's like the sixth sense. Like everyone knows like yeah. how it ends. But like, are you talking about like when he's sitting there and it like shows him and he's like talking, like doing his. Uh, yeah, he's talking in his mom's voice. Yeah, because he thinks it's his mother. Well, yeah. So I don't know if it was supposed to end. If it was supposed to take out. So right it, before that. I, yeah, like right adjacent to that scene is when they have they bring a psychologist in and he's like, "Well, Norman Bates, you see what's happening here is that he's got a dual yeah. personality." And he yeah, talks I, for like 5 minutes. Yeah, I I, I know what you're talking about. And yeah. I've seen that too. That wasn't supposed to be in there, but they added that in because they thought the audience would be confused. Yeah, exactly. But that can also go and talking about like holding the audience's hand. I guess that goes back to your and it's not Part, like it's not all on the director, but I guess it shows how much faith the director has in their targeted audience that they can grasp what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas if you explain every single detail, like you just know well, that you're, you're you you get the idea, you have the the concept that your audience are dumb and well, they th- can't figure things out, so you have to tell them. Right. Well, also yeah. on that fact, it's I mean the company A twenty four that does like that sponsors these movies. I feel like. People know that they're genuine movies. Like I, I think when I started watching a twenty four movies, it was The Witch, and I had no idea what I was going in for. And there's a lot of really, I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot. I'm sorry, they, but there's they had, a lot of yeah. really good a twenty four, but not even movies. just horror movies. They make genuinely mm-hmm. good movies. Yep. Like they, they sponsor, and it's not like the same. I mean, Ari has two under him. That, but like, it's not usually. It's really rare if it's the same director twice. I will and. I want to say Yorgos Lanthros, he's a Greek director, has two in A24, uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and The Lobster. I've been wanting to see that movie. I've heard it's insane. It's pretty crazy. I've yeah. seen it. Huh. It's, it's Yeah, I mean, they have a weird. couple They have a couple like really mainstream hits, too. So they It Follows. I, uh, oh, did they do that one? No, I'm sorry. Not It Follows. Uh, it, it comes out in the dark. That was another it comes movie. In, okay. yeah, that movie like, was a flop, though, I think. Yeah. yeah. It, um, I mean, well, they're not all. Like, yeah, they're hit or miss. Yeah, well, I mean, they made, the, they made the Disaster Artist, which, I mean, that movie's oh, I didn't know that. fucking great. Yeah, that's A24. Yeah. Okay. And then also, Jonah Hill directed a movie through them, too. Mid-90s. He did mid- mid-90s. I never saw I haven't seen that yet. Me either. I hear it's like a quintessential coming-of-age story, movie. but from the 90s, yeah. which is unique because... The 90s is now 30 years ago almost. 1990s, 29 years ago. So it, it's now cool to see. Don't remind us. Damn. Yeah. Shit. So now it's kind of cool to see like the era in which we right. more or less, because you know we're mid-90s, that we, we grew up in is now right. becoming, you can now tell the coming of age story in that era. Right. So. Also, another thing, um, what I like kind of to play off of just a side note, like these like mainly com- I wouldn't say comedians, uh, like known for comedy people like Jordan Peele and uh, Jonah Hill making uh, horror movies. Sorry, just movies in general. Where they break out of their genre. Right. right. Well, actually, he made, he has another, Jonah Hill has another show on Netflix called, uh, oh my God, I forgot. It has uh, Emma Stone in it. Uh, my, I forget what it's called. Damn. I don't know. Anyway, it's apparently really good. It's like a thriller, but uh, it's just like all these like, people that like you just have this image of like being funny and like Mm -hmm. just kind of like one-liner movies i mean his movies are great both i mean jordan peele's funny and i love jonah hill but 
Jim Carrey is another good one like that too. Not like, for director, not for directing, but acting. Yeah, a lot of people acting, when they when yeah. they break their typecasting roles mm-hmm. to do a so primarily comedians, I would say that's yeah. the main one. So when they when they break their role to do a, a more serious role, mm-hmm. a lot of times they're fucking good. Robin Steve Williams Car- is a great example of that. Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Yeah, like you said, Jim Carrey when he when he did Eternal Sunshine oh, and Spotless Eternal Mind. Sunshine, Spotless Adam Mind. Sandler had a really like crazy like Punch, uh, Punch Drunk Love. Love. That's what it was. He broke. He played a serious Jim role. Jim Carrey also had that movie where he played that comedian. It was like a biopic. Oh, they uh, had that documentary over it. No, the uh, uh, he's playing. Was it Andy Kaufman? Yes, yes. yes. There we go. Something it, Moon or something. Over I the Moon. Over, no I, that's here. what I want to say it is, but I, think I, it is I, I don't know the title. That's of it. That's an incredible documentary. Yeah, yeah but that's, Steve, that's crazy. Oh yeah, yeah, you said Steve Carell, right? Yeah, Steve yeah. Carell. Fucking, he was that dude was creepy in Foxcatcher. Like play that. I feel like that's just. When if you're an actor and you get kind of bound to this one trope or this one style of acting that I hate that when you finally get the chance to do something different like if I feel like it's just stored like it's kinetic energy and you're just storing like this untapped potential like you could go to someone and be like hey I've got like this really good idea for this role that I want to play and they're like well it's not like funny. Well, yeah. no, it's yeah. it's a serious role. Like, oh, well, I mean, that's just not going to work. Yeah. And then after, if you get told that like so many times, and when you finally get a chance to do a serious role, knock it out of the park. I haven't seen this movie, but the number twenty three with Jim. Oh, Perry, I know what you're talking about. I heard. I remember when that came out, and I was like, "That's weird. He's a he's in a horror movie." But I heard it was pretty good. It's not bad. Uh, for for him. Yeah. His, yeah. But um, Eternal Sunshine though. Yeah. That's, Ooh, man, I haven't seen that. That's the first serious oh, one I saw by him. Goodness. Oh, it's great. It's such a good movie. It's great. What's the what's like the genre of it? Is it drama. Sci-fi, sci-fi drama time? romance. Yeah. They play a lot on the on the sci-fi, but it, I would say it's probably more it's, dramatic it's more, than it's, anything. It's more drama. Yeah. Really. Because, so the, have, do you know the fight. premise behind it? I have no idea what it's about. So it's basically like potential spoilers. Big, for, oh, big spoilers. Eternal Sunshine. Don't uh, spoil it for him though. He I'm should not watch gonna, it. I'll I'm let you borrow it. I have it. So basically, so this guy and this girl are having like a really bad breakup or whatever, and so he he gets like this notification in the mail that says, uh, "Hey, do not come into contact or anything with your ex girlfriend for da 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 whatever reasons," and. What he comes to find out is that there's comp- there's this company that can erase people from your memory entirely, like sponge you of certain memories. And so what a lot of people do is they go in for breakups and they just get rid of the memory of that person. So then uh, he, he goes through the same procedure, right? He's like, all right, well, fuck it, I'll do it too. And so the whole movie is about that idea and like losing Erasing those memories. Yeah. from your memory. It, it deals a lot with like grief. It's like a big um, handle, like how to handle a breakup kind of it, thing. It, it's so sad. It's what like, there's some movies like where you watch it like on the initial viewing and you get real, I'm, I'm getting emotional thinking about that movie, it now. That movie is, I'll, I'll probably cry. It's good, but it's fucking movie. sad. It sounds like her. I haven't seen oh, that that's either. such a good movie. I haven't seen too. that one. Ugh, We've man, been bringing me, up all these. Me, me and Lainey have been wanting movies. to watch it. I think it just got Netflix. I think. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. It's been it's, just, really it's been sitting there, and I keep hearing people talk it's about really, how good really it. Really, really good. Yeah, I hear it's pretty good. I have yeah. to. I have to prepare myself for movies like that. Like horror movies, I can watch any time that it, I don't know if my stomach just you are up though, baby. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like that. I haven't seen her. I haven't seen uh, Seven Pounds uh, with Will Smith. I, I haven't seen that either. It's but good, but I, I mean, I, Will I Smith think usually gets... has these like roles where it's like, like triumphant, like coming up I feel like, stories. Well, Will Smith's He's... also another example of those yeah. kind of people that yeah, yeah broke I, typecasting. I also yeah. feel like Will Smith's kind of gone, in my opinion, a little bit more downhill. His new movie, yeah, his new movie looks ridiculous. It's 
where he fights himself. Gemini Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what? You know what? We've got Will Smith in the movie. Who else could be up there with Will Smith to be the villain? You know what? I've got it. Just give Will him, Smith. Just give him the Fresh Prince of Bel Air haircut. <laughs> My God. Oh man, it's good. Man. Wa- yeah, her with Joaquin Phoenix is so good. Joaquin Phoenix is another one. He's he's, uh, su- he's such a great actor. He's, yeah, he's one of my. He's probably top three of like my favorite modern actors yeah he's he's the weirdest looking person he's I've fucking seen. he's good at what he does though like walk the line oh it's oh a great movie my fucking god i love that see movie. and that that brings up another conversation i want to have that you talked about how you feel about like movies about musicians oh no no i just musicals oh I, no you said oh. something about bohemian rhapsody and, oh like, i could man. i could talk about that too yeah we could, we could talk about that. me and trevor feel i, I we think feel the same the same about I, that movie see so you and your point like the point you made was like they just build off of a song or it's like oh key the song like he said oh we said rocket man he said oh oh yeah oh the uh crowd pleasing moments is what i is what i meant um what i've noticed is is like there's a sheer difference between like rocket man and ray or yes or like how there's walk the line and bohemian rhapsody they're both completely different movies they play off tragedy more than well like well, kind of. Th- there's there's different ways that they're shot, and I haven't seen Rocket Man. I've Me watched either. some reviews on it, but I, from what I've heard, it's more like it's kind of shot like a musical. Like when it's, they do yes, when they do go into very. like their song and dance numbers, like it's not like it's for, not serious. It's, it's like, yeah, if it, you it, like Bohemian it, Rhapsody, you'll like Rocket Man. It's actually classified well, I, as a as a fantasy, like a musical fantasy, is what well, it is. Well, mm-hmm. From what I've seen, they're different because in Bohemian Rhapsody, like when they're doing their song and dance numbers, it's supposed to be real, like it's happening yeah, in real time. Yeah, but in Rocket true. Man, it's over, it's purposely right. over the top to match so, John's like persona. So yeah. I want to build, I want to build off of that exact thing right oh, there. But, let me finish oh, real okay, quick. But like yeah. with Walk the Line and Ray, it's a it's a biopic and it goes through their whole life. Whereas I believe, and I haven't seen Rocket Man, but I've seen people talk about it. And I want to see it because I'm a big Elton John fan. Right. Uh, that it's more based on the music and it does that throughout the performances throughout it but walk the line and ray have a really more serious tone to it yeah. for sure like the, there's just a tonal difference it's it's the for same sure. thing it's a biopic of a musician which is what bohemian rhapsody is but i mean you get kind of like little hints of seriousness in it but usually it's like what you said it's probably it's like Hey, there's Bohemian Rhapsody, Killer Queen. Ooh, that's yeah. a good song. Yeah, like type of things. Ah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Cheap. So what what I was meaning whenever uh, whenever I brought that up. So, my, biopics are like a blessing and a curse because you do some of them that do it correctly, like Ray and like Walk the Line, mm-hmm. which are like Walk the Line is probably one of my favorite movies. I fucking love that movie. And like he said, you go through their entire story. You learn about not just what they do, but who they are. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, if you're doing it right, it's it's supposed to be true. All of it's supposed to be true. You might have a couple moments in there like, okay, yeah, this conversation wasn't exactly the same, but here was more or less the gist of it or whatever. Not a whole lot has changed. My biggest issue I had with Bohemian Rhapsody was that half of the movie, none of it happened. It was A lot of it was inaccurate. Yeah, yeah. it was it was horribly oh, inaccurate. A and, lot of and, it was inaccurate. And, yeah. and so, that's my, so my biggest thing is is when you tell, and it's, it's not just with biopics, but when, when you tell a story that is supposed to be true, like a true story and you're giving it the line based on a true story then in my opinion that should be pretty accurate to the truth they're getting someone's life and glorifying on like they're making it for views instead yes of yes real, and so yeah. that's my biggest issue with bohemian rhapsody is that it's th- there are there are moments in there that 
so for instance, he uh, he's like singing in the he's singing in the mirror, or whatever. He's playing. It's his birthday, and he's playing in the mirror, and he's like, "Oh, happy birthday, Mr. Mercury." And it's like, okay, he, oh, that's the first, oh my God, it's the first time he said his name. Ah, I get it. And then like later, he's laying there with his girlfriend. They're both like half naked and he just casually like hands up, yeah. just starts playing Bohemian Rhapsody. And you're like, oh, oh, there it is. There, oh, he starts There's playing. Gotcha and moments. Yeah, it's gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, fucking get it. But, and so like, and, and those moments were blatant. You could tell, like, you're like, dude, this is just a crowd pleasing moment. Yeah. Um, and add on that, I'll let you finish too. Ahead. But they also had, uh, I, I didn't see it myself advertised anywhere but i saw that people were talking about it they had screenings where it was like sing-along ones where they had yeah. like when they're singing they have like what's going on Ooh. with the song like going along with it like in the audience where <sighs> yeah i don't know about I, that I, I, yeah. I don't know why you need that so so exactly so this so bohemian rhapsody was made with, with just like the quintessential story right it's like it's the underdog like you're rooting for the people who had to sell their van which they they didn't do by the way that was false they had to sell their van so they could record or or whatever it's like or this music exec is like you're not going to be famous and it's like well fuck you yes we are and like that none of that happened so they're selling they had it. a really good relationship yeah. with their manager yeah and so it's like none of, the, none of that only, happened the All only of... thing that's true about that is they did have trouble getting Bohemian right. Rhapsody on the air because it's like six and a half minutes long yeah or something but other than that they had really good relationships yeah. with all their managers exactly and so and so my biggest issue is that if you're gonna go to the extent of being like, "Hey, this is a true story," then you you need to you need to stick to that. And so this mo- this movie was built to, uh, like he said, to, for it to be a sing along, for you to just go yeah. in and you know, "Hey, I want to watch this underdog it's... story and I want to listen to my favorite bo- my favorite right. Queen songs." It's more like nostalgia based yes. type of thing. Um, it, another thing they were inaccurate about is they were giving uh, Freddie shit about his solo album when the other the rest of the band had released. Yeah, Bri- a lot yeah, of solo. Brian May yeah. came out with a solo yeah. album before. They never them. mentioned it yeah. like at all. And when and whenever yeah. in real life, whenever he did do the solo albums, like it wasn't a big thing. Like they never like broke up. Like yeah. he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna do solo albums." And Queen's like, all right. "Well, exactly." Because yeah. the point of this movie was to sell the the story that everyone knows, and everyone that's what everyone's going. They want to see the underdog story. Now, I want to relate that to uh, Rocket Man, because here's my thing: if you're gonna do a movie, be honest about what it is. So the reason why I haven't seen Rocket Man, but the reason why I think I would like Rocket Man a shitload better than I would Bohemian Rhapsody, is because they're taking true moments in John Elton's life, but they are purposefully and knowingly they're turning it into a fantasy. They're right. turning it into like, oh hey, well this moment might have happened, but then all of a sudden what, everyone breaks out in the song and is dance. Is this what, real life? What you what or you'd like is God. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> what you would like about Rocket Man is that it's uh, it's told from his own perspective. So like. It like it takes place when he's in a uh, when Elton John's in a rehab facility and he's talking to someone about his life and he's explaining like yeah. Yeah. how it happened. So like, and that can go like with when you explain like a story like it's normally like more like you kind of go off more on it and there's details that are a bit more like heightened and that gives the that gives credence to why the musical numbers are so over the top and yeah. crazy because he's telling it the way it is. Yeah. It's not made to be right. like it actually happened that way. And Elton John's also this man who's crazy over the top and fantastical. Yeah, exactly. So like, if you're going to do a movie like that and you're not going to be 100% to the truth, be honest about it. And that's what that's what Rocket Man I think, does because it's honest. So I'm not going to go into Rocket Man expecting this super serious biopic that's going to tell the story of Elton right. John. It's going to tell a fantastical story. Whereas you when know I go what right, you're seeing. Well, when I go into Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm expecting the true story of Queen and instead I'm getting Freddie a lie. I'm getting a lie. 
It's what yeah. I'm getting is not the truth. That, Freddie Mercury's life is so interesting yeah. that you don't need to change any of the details. And what real? I mean, I get the director's choice at the end to <clears throat> end it where it ended at Live Aid because that was really kind of the crescendo of their group. But you missed so goddamn much not putting in when Freddie Mercury was dying because that is arguably the like most like well, heartfelt they, yeah. time of his life when he's yeah. on his deathbed and he recorded the innuendo album like on his deathbed yeah and the show must go oh. on like sings it Oof. like while he's dying like i think he died like a month later after he sang that and like if it could like have a way to show that like I, that's what i wanted to see right. honestly it would have been but, it, yeah. i was gonna say it would have been so sick at the very end like before they roll the credits he's like they're they're dun, dun, dun. they're like building it up and he's like you you see him like kind of just becoming old not older but like he's dying from it yeah you see him he takes like that shot of tequila like fucking crashes the shot glass he kicks Let's the studio it, he's like yeah yeah, yeah it yeah. would have been so sick but that's what that's what bohemian rhapsody sold you though it was like hey it's gonna tell that story and then you go in and you're like what the fuck is this this isn't the story well, well that, so that's they, why they, that's my biggest issue with it they rewrote like again history because he didn't figure out he had aids until like he didn't figure it out during Live Aid, they never he never no. told them any uh-uh. of that. Yeah, but that's, that happened later. I yeah, believe. and they, they again that's rewriting history. Like they, to make the exper- to make the whole concert at Live Aid so much I, more like appealing in why they did it. It's because not just because they you know want to help the importance of you know fighting AIDS, but right. because Freddie Mercury had AIDS. It's like I, no, that's I think what pissed me yeah. off the most in that movie is like right before they do Live Aid and like they had made it like go on this whole like separate like thing like the band had broken up and everything and they're like sitting in the office and they're like they're like all right, we need to do Live Aid. They're like, "Oh, we haven't performed together in years. I don't know how we're going to play." And Bullshit. They, they fuck they got off a tour a month before Live Aid in real life. Yeah. Like they never quit playing. They never broke up. Like that's that's the that's probably the biggest lie of the whole movie. They never, they didn't break up. And they didn't break up because they're so goddamn good. And you can yeah. sell that to an audience because everyone knows that Queen is goddamn awesome. Damn, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody is an ass movie. That's man. what. But that's what well, I'm saying. Like, it, <laughs> well, people liked it too. I mean, but for the what for, for what though? I, I what well, because I, it's I'm insulting. gonna say this yeah. is because it's it caters to the people that don't care like how inaccurate it is. Like, they just want to hear a song and then and I, people I that hate, look like the. I musicians. hate to throw her under the bus, but it's the person I talk to the most about it outside of our friend group. Is my sister really likes Queen too? And like when we saw it, she's like, "Oh man, that was so good!" And like I started like telling her, I'm like, "Hey, this isn't true. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. This didn't really happen." She's like, "I don't want to know that." She's like, "Don't tell me that. It ruins the movie." I'm like, "I know." I mean, yeah, that's the point. Well, yeah, well, you see, that's the thing. That's the who. That's those are the kind of people that the movie was selling to. I know, and yeah, that pisses it, me off. It was selling to the I, people who just want to hear I the wa- story. I wanted a biopic of Freddie Mercury. I wanted yeah. a walk the line of Freddie Mercury because he's such an interesting yeah. and great character that you could make into a movie like based one hundred percent factual that it would have sold. Well, yeah. the good thing about they this didn't. is, I think you know, I'm sure somewhere down the line, someone's probably like you a big fan and they want to remake it which again remakes aren't always the best but sometimes they deserve it but also it's inspiring i what i hope for a lot more musician biopics that are good though because like like i think i don't remember what came first johnny cash or walk the line or uh ray i but, think ray did what is, was it ray yeah ray, ray was, was 2004 yeah. right yeah. I yeah. think and i think walk the line was like 2005 yeah. or 2006 i want to say 2006 ray was so dark i never saw and it, like ray. oh dude it's so dark it's, it's been a long time since crazy. i've seen ray but I've seen like it. walk the line is dark in its own way but like ray is like whew, 
Yeah. He went through some fucked up shit. And, like, Jamie Foxx put on an insane, yeah. insane, insane acting, like, for that. And, again, Joaquin Phoenix looks, honestly, like young Johnny Cash. Like, it's weird and, how he looks really one, close One to thing him. that's cool, too, and I, I know they did a little bit, and I'll give Rami Malik. That's his name, right? Rami yeah, Rami Malik. Rami Malik. Oh, is that how you said it? Yeah. Rami Malik. I thought mm-hmm. it was... Shit, I thought it was Rami Meek. I thought it was no, Rami, Rami Malik. I thought it was like <laughs> Rami Malik. Okay, Rami Rami Malik. Rami Malik. Okay, I mean, he did a good job. I mean, I think he did the best that he could do with the script that he was given. But with uh, I'm not sure on Ray, but I know in Walk the Line, I'm like 99 percent sure that Joaquin Phoenix like recorded like re-recorded he, all the tracks. Yeah, he sang he sang himself. That yeah. was did him he singing. really? Yep. Yeah, that was and that, him. I, had no I mean idea. that's hard to do yeah. when you're trying to portray Freddie Mercury because he has arguably the best, vo- in my opinion, the best voice. Well, actually, he, ever. Uh, so uh, to give bl- him to give him a little bit of credit, he they, yeah you, they, they kind of yeah they yeah. blended it a little bit where they had parts where Rami uh, Rami Malik. Rami excuse me where they had Rami Malik singing and then other points where it was so so what they did Freddie was Mercury. is I think for everything that you heard of Freddie Mercury's voice, it was actually a blend of Rami Malik's. Uh, a guy who's like a Freddie Mercury impersonator who they hired for the film and then Freddie Mercury himself. They like blended all of them together. So that way it's like a... It, it's it's hard to copy that guy's voice, but if an actor can go and record the music that the artist that they're trying to portray and sound almost identical, then that's great acting too. I yeah. think Rami looked like... I thought he did good. I think he looked nothing like uh, Freddie Mercury at a young age. I think he looked nothing like him. I think he looked like him... <clears throat> during Live Aid, when he cut his hair, I think he looked just like him. But I think in the younger era of Freddie, he looked... Did I... anyone notice how, like, so with his teeth, right? I, I kind of picked up on this. So his teeth were, you know, crazy overbid in the in the film because that's how Freddie Mercury is. He didn't show him as much. But I, I think when yeah. you actually looked at them, they were, like, pretty straight, which Freddie Mercury is just has not like right. fucked up teeth. Like, Freddie Mercury's teeth are... <laughs> janked they're, yeah. they're like fucked watch, up watch the watch the music video for don't stop me now when he's like singing and it like does a close-up on him and he's like yeah this like to the mic and it like shows like his teeth and it looks like a fucking i don't know <laughs> like, like a, a rabid animal yeah or something <laughs> yeah yeah so it's either so like I, that kind of annoyed me i'm like oh man <laughs> i mean i'm sure it's got to be difficult to create a prosthetic that you can still like speak with but i feel like that right. kind of goes into the detail of the movie a little bit and it also kind of plays back to what we were saying earlier how like it's made for surface level. It's like, well, look, we're making, we're trying to make Freddie Mercury look all pristine and like pitch perfect. I want to see Sasha Baron Cohen's Freddie Mercury. I was gonna say, I was gonna bring <laughs> yeah. that up. Do you know who was supposed to play him? But oh my god, oh dude, it went I, through I, development hell apparently. Well, yeah. he tried to put his own spin on. Well, not spin. He wanted to emphasize like he, he took the director's course and he kind of tried to like do his own thing with it, where he wanted to emphasize more on like the gay factor. Like he, a lot more. He wanted a more realistic and kind of gritty Freddie Mercury, yeah. whereas the other, whereas the other portrayal of it is more lighthearted and you know happy-go-lucky type with yeah. little like kind of subtle hints of the homosexuality and the AIDS I things, think but I think Sasha looks a whole shit too more like wrong. him. He, does. he can. Yeah. He's got pipes too. Sasha, really? Yes. Watch. Uh, he's in Sweeney Todd. Sweet, I forget he's in Sweeney, Sweeney, Sweeney Todd. Todd. Yeah, and he does yeah. it. He does a number in there. Oh, it's so it's so good. It's good. He's got yeah, some they pipes. Yeah, they made a mistake there. <laughs> when I first heard that it was Sasha Baron Cohen, I was initially like, eh, I was like, I, I mean, that just doesn't seem right. I was like, the more you I, look at him, though, you're like, oh, I don't shit, know, I, I don't know him. about it. But after I saw Bohemian Rhapsody, I was like, I wanted to see his version. He, like, it would have been better. He looks more like young Freddie Mercury than Rami Meek ever, or 
sorry, ramen meek. <laughs> ramen <laughs> ramen meek. He God looks- damn it. <laughs> 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 so many good names we could have titled this one. Um, I feel like he just looked like that was something that really bugged me. Like it's just that he didn't get the look. Like it's something about his eyes being really bulgy. It just like Freddie had like a lot more squinier eyes. I feel like, and I think uh, Sasha looked. I feel like you put a long wig on him, looks just like him. I think it was real i think i i honestly would have rather have seen sasha as him because whenever i remember whenever they were talking about in development that they kicked him out of it or he chose to leave i forget what which, what it was i think the whole director got removed too because they changed directors oh yeah it. they did yeah yeah because i think sasha and i i don't even know the director of i forget the who it was too. Well, version that came out but i think him and the original director had like this kind of view and it, Something happened. It just went through development hell, and the, they changed directors, they changed leads, they changed like the whole script. Everything got changed, and then that's what we came with now is the fucking on a note handheld shit show. On a yeah. note of Bohemian Rhapsody, I think the best part about it was Mike Myers being in it. I didn't like that either. That was I, uh, I don't was I don't just... know I don't know who he's supposed to portray. Oh, well, okay. I'm sorry. I don't know who he's. I don't know what the real guy looks like, but his he's uh, supposed to portray Andy Reid. Well, right. I just don't know what the guy looks like, is what I'm saying. But I think him, they putting him in that specific scene is again, it's a nostalgia grab. But I think it was great. I think it was like that makes so much sense because I mean, you know, Wayne's World, and I thought it was cheap. I was. I mean, I, I think it. it it's, I think it was it's, fun. It's a cool idea, but it's not something I would have wanted in my movie because it's just like yeah. I feel like if if he had done if they had actually done like the correct character. Or, or maybe not even give him in a role that's that important, but putting him in the movie somewhere, I think I think that's neat. They could have had him as like a cameo or something, just yeah. like some guy. This like if they would have been like playing Bohemian Rhapsody on the radio, and it just like shows him like yeah. playing yeah, like someone exactly. else, and he's like, "Man, this shit is whack" or something. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. "No one's gonna ever yeah. listen to this," and he's like in like the same car or something, and like yeah. changes like it to some some other song. Like yeah. that would have been okay, but having him play like the whole character of Andy Reid and him being like this dickish manager that they ended up leaving and everything, which right. just doesn't it, happen. It, it's, it's like, it's a case Everyone's, of less is more. And they chose yeah. fucking more. Yeah. Cause it, cause then it's so, it's like, it's handholding again. It's, it's back to that topic we were talking yeah, about. It's, it's, it's handholding. It's like, it's, we want uh, you to uh, get uh, this that, fucking that, reference. Uh, uh, that's Wayne's world. Oh yeah. I, 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 I get it. I remember Understand the goddamn reference. I get it. I remember. But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a nostalgia grab again, but, uh, I get I, I I feel you on what you said though. Maybe they could have done less with it. They could have just kind of could have been more subtle. I feel like Queen, yeah. Queen could have been. Got, you don't got to beat me over the head with yeah. the joke. I like the idea, but like you said, more subtle. That would have been better. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like that's how? Because I see this trend that that's just how movies and media and like all it like all that aspect music too. In a, well, maybe not in a way, but I would say definitely movies and TV. It's just so nostalgia based, like. It takes everything yeah. that like we remember as being good, like back in the day, and it doesn't have to be like too far. Like even like yeah. rehashing, stuff, like before the two thousands or after the two thousands, like early two thousands or like even before two thousand ten, they're just redoing it all. Child's play, it like they remade the Mummy. Yeah. Like the Mummy came out like, uh, what maybe like two thousand one? Yeah, like so they're also like sixteen years ago, yeah. like. Have yeah. we have we ran out of ideas? Horror, horror is definitely on that trend, and I need it to die the fuck off. It pisses me off because well, I feel like. Oh, 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 sorry. No, go ahead. 
I feel like mo- like all movies are like that now, just about. I mean, unless you're doing like a biopic or something, which yeah. like you you can't like not rehash like what's happening because it's based on a true story. But like all like I would say ninety percent of like action movies follow the same plot line, like the same trope. Yeah, and it's just like here's where it starts. Here's some cool explosions. Here's and, like you could literally like maybe even see like the like how the plot goes. You're like. Oh, the characters are starting. Oh, here it goes. Oh, something happens. Oh, I don't know if they're going to... Oh, they make it. Oh, man, I was worried there or yeah. something. But it yeah. all happens the same way. Yeah. And people just get like this idea of that, and they just fucking run with it. That's why we have so many Marvel movies. That's why there's going to be goddamn 10 Fast and the Furious movies. I, Kill that shit. Please. Make it stop, please. <laughs> I'd never really... like. I'd never really care for Fast and Furious in the first place. The first couple but... were... Yeah, they're all right, but... Uh, why why is there well, so many i was gonna say it horror in horror it's so abundant and i'm like like you know i like i grew up me me and him grew up watching like the first bit of horror in our lives like ever together slasher films, slasher films left it and right That's yeah what, it just started thing. that way and you know i i like slasher movies but it it doesn't work anymore it's like it's kind of like thrash metal now thrash metal ran its course you're either Metallica copy or you're Metallica copy. Like you're it's, talking to the wrong people okay, on that well, one. <laughs> I if think. y'all get what I'm saying, uh, some of y'all. But anyway, it, it, in horror, it happens a lot. There's a uh, like, for instance, like the Halloween sequel that came out from. Uh, when you get done, I want to get your opinion on that. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm about to give it all to you right now. Okay. So uh, this shit show um, of a movie, there we Halloween. Go. <laughs> uh, the, so, the 28, 2018? Yes. The 2018 so, version. So not the Rob Zombie one. Not, we have to be specific. So uh, with this one, the guy from uh, Hot Rod, the guy that does the explosion. Danny McBride. Danny McBride. He directed it. And the co-director was John Carpenter. So whenever I heard Danny McBride was going to direct I'm like, is Danny McBride going to be like, you know, Jordan Peele, where he's actually not a bad director? I watched a bunch of interviews while, you know, they were doing the, the cutting of the, or the, not the cutting of the movie. Uh, editing. Editing of the movie. Um, I was like, okay, I'll give him a chance. You know, like, these horror movie rehashes happen all the time. It's, what are you going to gain from it besides cash? And then I was just like, it's probably not going to be that good. But then later I hear John Carpenter talking about how he's that's praising sold, it. That's what sold me. It's what sold me, too. And I was like, good shit. And then what sold me 100%, he was like, he's scoring it. I was like, this is going to be a great movie. And then they hit me with this. It's a sequel. I'm like, what? And then it's, it, it's so hard with that type of timeline to make. It's fucked up. There's like sequel. ten movies. Oh, so here's. Do you did you see it? I haven't. No. Okay, so let me explain it to you. So this is a sequel to Halloween the original. Yeah, so, I, I knew that. Fuck Halloween two and every other movie, right. even the one with Buster Rhymes in it. Especially bro, fuck ha- that one. Bro, what about Halloween three? <laughs> Halloween three season good of movie. the witch. Halloween three is a good movie. I actually enjoy that movie. It's. Change the title to Season of the Witch, and it's a good movie. My I, I just want to add in real quick, too, because yeah. it's kind of funny while we're talking about it. The first time that I saw that movie, I had, I'd seen the original Halloween. I'd never seen any of the other sequels after mm-hmm. that, and I think it was close to Halloween. I was at my ex's house, and we were it was close to Halloween, so just movies are on AMC like all the time. Oh, yeah. And I was like, hey, Halloween 3's on. I was like, Halloween 3, Season they of the Witch. They rerun the shit out of that movie. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'll give it a shot. I was like, I haven't seen this one. I was like, it's something to watch while there's nothing to watch. And I turn it on, like... I watched it for, like, the last, like, hour of it. I'm just sitting there, like, every time it comes on, I'm like, did they, like, fuck up, like, the like the title of this movie? I was like, where the fuck is Michael Myers? I'm like, what what the fuck? I was yeah. so confused. It's a good movie. I mean, just change the title. 
this it, season it, it's, of the Witch. It's different what they were trying to do with the Halloween yeah. franchise. I think but, it was an okay movie, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I so to, to go on forward, I was like, so how's it a sequel? So it's a so two through whatever. Cut that off. It's right after the very first seventy, I think nineteen seventy eight movie, and so then I see a trailer for it. I'm like, that's already that before the trailer came out. I was like, that's confusing, but I get it. So the trailer comes out and it starts to make sense. Like it's making sense. So it's like a uh, realistic timeline in the real world where it jumps forward to current time where Lori's older. It's actually uh, set in twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so like it's you know Lori's. And it has an actual representation of age. Yes, of age. And what's, so, what's her name? Who? The uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis actually looks. <laughs> uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is like aged. There's no like makeup or fucking anything like that. Bitch, uh, bitch is old. Yeah, and uh, so I'm like, okay, cool. This is this is setting it up for like H2O, but way better. Like at H2O had a lot of. You know, I feel like H2O would have been good. It's just it executed horribly. Um, but they set it up really well. I see Michael Myers's mask, and I'm like, it's it's age two, but not like Rob Zombie where it's fucking like rotten and it makes no sense because the latex should have just literally been decaying. Yes, like well, it makes sense, but the a mask laying in a floorboard. For like twenty years, should have not even it shouldn't have been even there. Like should have just been dust. But anyway, so I'm like, okay, cool. And then eventually, I see the movie, and uh, the first like I think it's like ten minutes where they it's like it starts off with these uh, journalists going to see potential spoilers. Oh yeah, sorry, twenty eighteen Halloween. Uh, They go see Michael Myers, and uh, you only see him from behind, and it's like he doesn't have the mask, obviously. Uh, they go to the psycho ward, and he's, like, chained up, mm-hmm. like, by his uh, it's leg. It's, like, one of the, like, most, I I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but that's, like, the biggest shot that they had in the trailer, too. Yeah, it is. And uh, you kind of see, like, this side of his face, and you see the scar when Laurie, like, did the whole... Right. So they're very accurate. Like, they're accurate almost the whole movie about keeping it to the timeline. And... Uh, the journalist like pulls out the mask and he's like, "Talk to me." Obviously, Michael doesn't talk, but it's like building up. Like all the all the patients around him are like freaking out, wigging out, and like he's just kind of standing there. He's not doing anything. He's like, "Michael," and then it cuts a da da da, which is really. I was like, "Uh oh!" Like this is kind of cheesy already, but it's a slasher movie, so I'm like, I'm kind of keeping open mind. So, not to spoil the rest of the movie, but um, by the end of the movie, I was like, "This was a cash grab," 100. percent uh, it was just a severe disappointment, an incredibly overhyped movie, and I was more disappointed not in Damon McBride but John Carpenter, because yes, I was like, I, I, I'm sorry, I'll let you finish. No, you're good. It's for John for the director of the original movie, John Carpenter, to be like, this is a good movie. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, for him to score it is to come out of retirement and even co-direct and even score score it. Which the score was good. It even had, like, he used, like, the original synthesizers and, like, he kept it, like, he did a little bit newer things where he had, like, had a little twist on he, it. So he, he added more soundscapes to it and, mm. like, added, like, 808s and, like, like, he had, he had more to work with when, you know, they had a shoestring budget back then versus right, now. Yeah. And so by the end of the movie, 
they leave you on a cliffhanger. And I was like, I, I was like, if they leave me on a cliffhanger, I'm going to walk out of this movie pissed off. And they left you on a cliffhanger. And he's in like, base, I'll spoil the ending. So basically what happens. He's spoiling it, folks. Um, Ready yourself. <laughs> so uh, the final fight between Jamie, I'm sorry, uh, Lori and Michael. Uh, he's trapped under under the house in the basement, and Lori's looking at him, and she like throws, I think, like a Molotov. Like I think she down had there. it like I think she had it like set up to like trap him. Yeah, in the yeah her whole she, house. Like, she yeah. like booby trapped her whole fucking house. She yeah. like had him like in the basement, like trapped him in there, and there was okay, like that's fucking lame. They make and her they make her a hard ass like again, but okay, not again as in like how she was a smart thinker like anything, but but she like she's like a warrior kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of lame. It, it makes yeah. her like a recluse, and she's like crazy and like she's like yeah. the crazy grandma yeah. because she went through this shit but she's right. like just like i'm fucking ready dude when this guy springs loose like come at me michael i'm fucking ready well so they haven't trapped it's like the climax of the movie Lori's daughter and Lori are all sitting there and like like they could shoot him in the fucking head if they wanted to he's just staring up at them like in the basement but he can't get out because like there's bar- there's a barrier but they can see him it's like metal and, spikes yeah. that she had mm-hmm. like like come through like the basement door or something, and so, so they can yeah. see them, but she just can't get out. She says some one liner, and then I think throws a Molotov or something to catch the room on fire. It's burning up. You see Michael still just staring up there, and the fire's all around. And they eventually leave the house, and then they cue back into the basement, and he's gone while it's on fire. And then it's so to go on that, and yeah. I'll. I'll mention this too. the re- The reason I watched it is because when it had Danny McBride shown as the director, I'm like, I'm I'm interested. I was like, we'll see what he can do. But when it was mentioned that John Carpenter's co-directing, I was like, oh shit, yeah. because the thing, the 1982 version of the thing with oh, Kurt amazing, Russell, amazing, is movie. best sci-fi horror movie. Like, it's one of my favorite yeah. horror movies. It's right. It that and The Exorcist are my top two favorite for sure. So I was like, it's it's got to be good. Agreed. And I'll go on to this too. I'll try not to delve too much into it, but I don't really like the Halloween franchise. The first one, really? it's it's good, but what what upsets me is that Michael Myers is portrayed as a normal person. Like he's a kid that he's a psycho kid, killed his family and grew up and then gets out of wherever the jail or psycho ward he's in and he mm-hmm. goes on another killing spree. When you shoot someone like three or four times like when he does and like when they do in the original you're fucking dead okay that's the way it is you can't make a sequel on that but what like with things like uh like friday the 13th you can keep making sequels on that because it's a supernatural figure the same uh nightmare on elm street excuse me but it's the same with friday the 13th too because jason's already dead and then he comes back from the dead to kill people but michael myers is a person it's known that he is just a human being but he keeps coming back and can survive all these things that pisses me off because it doesn't make it believable it doesn't make him scary here's the thing though he is that for like well technically three because skip three so he's in that for the so the first and second and the fourth and i think the fifth movie he's considered a human like just a regular human being but for some reason there's this movie with paul rudd playing oh yeah uh the original little he's supposed to be playing the part as a little kid in the very first movie that was being babysat by jamie mm. and uh don't watch it, it's fucking stupid but uh basically they start the movie out explaining why he has managed to live through all this shit he was fucking raised by a cult well none of those are canon really like with the whole 
like they're not story. The only they're, one, I they're think all they're, they're okay. all di- they're all directed by different people. Oh, you mean? Oh, okay. So you're talking? Okay, I think so, the like, only, you're talking about John Carpenter specifically. Yeah. So like, okay. th- like whoever okay. directed whichever one that is, like okay. having like he's like raised by a cult. That's not okay. John Carpenter's. I think the only right. ones Halloween. that he did were the first and second. I think every everything else and was somebody else. Remake. Yeah. Oh yeah, so, and the well, I think you also had a part in number three. He did. Of the witch. Yeah. yeah. But that that bugs me. I want my the villain. Uh, or the the baddie of the horror movie to be believable and yeah. most horror movies i would say they have like some kind of supernatural element to mm-hmm. them which you can really blur the lines with that and you can get carried away too but yeah. it, it lets you play around with it but if you have established that your villain is a human being when i mean it it happens all the time too whenever like someone will like do something cra- they'll stab them like four times or something and then they just keep coming it's like that trope of the yeah the horror villain who just won't die like if it's yeah. a supernatural being of some sort they're like a type of like zombie or undead or mm-hmm. something and i can see it but when it's something like michael myers where he's just a dude like i'm just like all right this is bullshit i don't i, don't I think, believe any of this i think the original how i like halloween 2 but halloween 1 i think for its time and i it's just one of my favorite movies for nostalgia mm-hmm. it was my first horror movie i ever saw and i'm glad it was because it was it scared the shit out of me as a kid because it's completely believable. Obviously, getting shot six or however many times, and him getting up is like oh shit, that's well hard to believe. But like it's still you it's it's it gives no backstory. Well, okay, that's not true. It gives a little bit of who the guy is, right? But he doesn't. They don't give him a fucking motive, and that's what's so fucking scary about it. And that it's just some dude for no reason killing people, right? And and I can see that. And not to take away really from the first one because it at the end of it like that's when uh. Loomis shoots him, mm-hmm. and then, like, I mean, all this happens in, like, what, like, maybe the last five minutes of the movie, like, his last confrontation with Laurie. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. he gets shot, and then, like, you see him, like, laying down in the grass, and you're like, all right, man, he's dead. Like, it's over. And then, like, he gets up and, like, walks away. That's a, f- that was a fairly new idea to the horror genre that's really dry now and that we expect yeah. it. But, like, when it happens in that movie, you're like, oh, shit, like, he's still alive. Like, what's going on? But, like, when you keep playing it out and you just yeah. have the the villain that won't die i get bored well yeah. i think movies like halloween and the text chainsaw massacre set up very original slasher i guess you consider text chainsaw massacre a slasher movie like, yeah yeah i think so but uh it those those two movies like those are also my top like two horror movies like text chainsaw massacre the original yeah. the 1974 five i think it's that again no motive it's just yeah. the whole family's fucking crazy really those, those movies yeah. fucking revolutionized horror for a long time because john mm-hmm. carpenter inadvertently set off like a whole craze and a bunch of tropes just from his one movie that he didn't even mean to right like, he inadvertently created the trope that the virgin is the one that survives right. like, the, like the super that was not girl. intentional yeah, yeah no he had no intent and he was like actually what i was saying with that movie was is that everyone was so preoccupied on getting their nuts off that yeah. they didn't realize a serial killer was in the neighborhood but everyone took that trope and now it's like oh the good girl who doesn't partake in who, who has like the nice christian values and doesn't fuck everyone in the room is the one that survives yep. every time without exception he started that inadvertently like that was he set off pretty much the whole craze of the yep endless sequels of friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street like he was pretty much the og him and the guy that directed the texas chainsaw massacre like they yeah they fucking toby hooper uh, also made a a movie called uh last house on the left which is fucking very raw for its time wait i thought Wes craven did that i think he did maybe yeah i think it was he made another horror movie that's really good maybe i spit on your grave 
I'm, I I'm not know, sure. But I'm, 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 like, on, I'm, I'm only familiar with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I apologize if that's it. I, I, I'm pretty positive he made... I know he made the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then he made one other movie. I thought it was... No, I'm pretty sure Wes Craven, because that's one of okay. Wes Craven's other really famous movies. It's I like apologize. That and Nightmare on Elm Street, And really. Scream. Scream. Yeah, Scream, Which is really too. good. I actually fuck with Scream. Which I, I love I love Scream because it's a fucking movie that commentates on horror tropes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Yeah. And you, you you really explained what I was trying to get at better. Not to take away anything really from the first Halloween movie, because I love John Carpenter as a director. Yeah. But the, what he started unintentionally, like the way that it carried out like throughout the decades, just really gets to me. And I guess I see it more whenever I see it in its original idea. It kind of makes me not like it as much, I guess. But I still love the movie. It's still a classic, but... Just seeing like how it goes from there, like it just disappoints me because I know like yeah. it just gets so drawn out. But when it's done the first time, it's done right. But when you do it for the hundredth time, it's just like, dude, I, 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 I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. Well, you can predict the whole movie the second yeah. you walk into it. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I agree with that. I mean, it and like you said, I mean, it's more than just I notice it because I'm I watch horror, more horror movies than I do most of anything. But uh, I think like so far, besides Midsummer and Hereditary, the most original movie i've seen in a bit that's a horror movie it's called the void and i saw that have you seen it you saw it too i watched it at your house mm-hmm. and me was, and, oh, go ahead, oh, go ahead sorry. I, I was it's not particularly good but it's different it's different yeah. it's and definitely it's, different yeah. someone's trying to do something yeah. different i just don't think it was pulled off one of one of my you don't think so? it was uh, okay i don't know it, it went like it went really bonkers towards the end. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Which is which is probably my biggest critique on it. Uh, but a movie that I like a lot that is I would say recent. It was like 2012, 2013. I think it was 2013. Um, which is it actually falls into that dumbass like jump scare genre, but I think it does it well. Is Sinister. Oh, um, I think it was like 2008. No, that was like 2013. It was yeah. Um, Seems longer than that. So yeah, I love that movie because like it plays into the jump scares, and there are definitely moments that it it even does like the fake out kind of shit and jump scares you. But the story is so like original, and especially because it was kind of it was in that time where it, like the decade of everything was riddled with like it was like the fucking thirteenth Saw movie and yeah, just that like was the, that was the torture porn. Yeah time of horror right and, and like super jump scares and a lot of these movies too like it, it's super unoriginal but then you have this movie that it not only does it it has those tropes but i mean it had a good story the story was so good and then it also it ends unconventionally spoiler here ends unconventionally where like oh no one gets away everyone dies even though they did everything right and they they did all this investigation to and figure out ethan hawk yeah and uh did all this investigation to figure out what's going on and figured it out and we're like hey we're yeah. out of here and, and nope. you still lose like that that's something that hadn't that hadn't really been done all that much, and uh, you know when it came out, the critics pretty much panned. It's like, oh, it's just another horror movie. I'm like, no, nah, this movie did something different. Like Dude. it, it, yeah, it, it, it did it did a good job, especially being in that time where you can predict every fucking movie Again, horror movie you walk into. Also, the score on that is fucking yeah. nuts. Like that that scene with the lawnmower scares the shit out of me every single fucking every time. fucking time. Every fucking never, time, it never yeah. prepares you right. Just like <laughs> like that real loud fucking yeah. Oh my god, like it's. I watched that shit. I never saw it in theaters, but I watched it at like 3 p.m. like in the day. <laughs> like, and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Like, I was like, yeah. holy fuck, this is a good movie. Like, I, I love that. Second one, one was ass, but the first one was Well, the second good. one wasn't directed by the same guy. Completely different people. That's so why. That sucks. I, 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 I mean, I, I don't know the in and outs of it, but I would feel like if I created an idea and then I had like somewhere down the line, someone else like started like taking 
They're not taking your ideas. I don't know the logistics of it, but that would piss me off if someone tarnished yeah. my brand because they made a shitty movie. With I would my never title. do that. I don't care how rich I was. I'd be like, if you want to remake my movie, send me a draft. If it's good enough, I'll throw it in the trash. I feel like, like I feel like it has to do with the production company more than it does anything. Because it's like, oh hey, look, Sinister made like a pretty penny. We want to make Sinister too, and it's like, well, I don't want to do that. I have no reason to make I a guess, Sinister too. I guess it goes to who has the rights to the movie, which is probably the production yeah. studio. Yeah, because th- there's been plenty of plenty of things like that. Like I even th- I think Rob Zombie's sequel that he made to Halloween Two. I don't think he even wanted to do that, but I think the company was like, no, like we fucking want this movie made. We'll he do didn't. it without you. And he's like, fine, then I'll then I'll fucking do it. And a lot of a lot of things do that. Like, uh, for instance, I'm a huge fan of the the Silence of the Lambs franchise, right? Silence of the Lambs is one of yeah. the best. Mm-hmm. It's not even a horror movie. No, it's a, it's a psychological thriller. Yeah, that, but a lot of people at the time thought it was horror. They, that's what they classified fun, it as. Fun fact is that's one of the only like type like horror ish type of movies to take home Academy Awards. Yeah, because it's fucking amazing. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm a big fan of that whole genre and I love the books. And, you know, Thomas Harris wrote he, uh, he wrote Red Dragon. Then after Red Dragon was Silence of the Lambs, and after Silence of the Lambs was Hannibal. And so he re- he wrote those three books, and which all of which were made into a movies, and everyone was fucking loving it. They loved Hannibal Lecter, and so Manhunter too. Uh, yeah, it's based off Red Dragon. Yeah. Uh, oh, which the it, the oh. book is Red Dragon, and they made it into uh, Manhunter, and then they remade it into Red Dragon. Oh. Okay. Um, so he made all these movies and everyone's fucking, they can't get enough of Hannibal Lecter. Like it's a craze in the early thousands. And so uh, they come to him and they're like, we want an origin story of Hannibal Lecter. And he's like, well, I don't really want to fucking do that. Like that kind of takes the mystery out of my guy, like we were saying earlier. But they were like, no, nah, if you don't do it, we're going to fucking, we're going to find someone who's going to make and tell the story anyways. And he's like, well, well I, I don't, don't want, I don't want my yeah. story butchered. Yeah. And I so guess I better fucking do it. Yeah. So he reluctantly wrote this whole origin story he never wanted to do anyways. And it, it, it wasn't like bad, but it, it wasn't near anywhere close to the glory of what like Red Dragon and fucking Silence of the Lands for sure was. You're talking about the books or the movie? The the book and also the the movie is just based right off the book. So yeah, he was he was pretty much forced. He's like, well, fuck, fine, I'll do it. I don't really want to. And so yeah, of course we're not going to get a really good original story from it. If he, you're basically you're holding a knife to the guy's throat, like you're going to do this or we're going to fucking do it ourselves. So yeah, yeah I feel like a lot of people. Money. Yeah, a lot of people well, fall prey to that. Another thing about the whole uh, Halloween current movie, I don't know if y'all saw, but they Universal announced they're making two sequels. I, I saw that. Like I I'm checked out. Bro, I'm done. I I can't. I, that, first of all, that fucking sent my mind haywire. I was like, how do you how do you release two titles in one? fucking trailer it wasn't even really a trailer they're well, like that even... we have two movies come like holy whoa hold the that fuck ruins up your second one. that ruined your whoa. second one you know there's gonna be a third exactly yeah. i'm like hold on first of all and then the rumor was before this came out that they were gonna do it in the same month i'm like this is gonna be a de- it's gonna be a shit show well they're That's like and then they hit you with the title halloween kills i'm like bro if you don't fucking throw this movie in the garbage <laughs> like halloween kills bro who wrote this a third grader halloween kills <laughs> He's, fucking, he's got. The, he's got a big crayon. Yeah, he's got the big crayon. He's got the big crayon. <laughs> got the big giant clip pen. Yeah. Fucking Jesus Christ! You've oh got Clippy God. from Microsoft Word 2003 helping. <laughs> I see you're trying to write the script for a horror movie. Here's how I can help. <laughs> and then they were like, "Then Halloween ends." I'm like, 
mystery solved, I guess. I guess we're just going to... Yeah, that one will end oh, on a cliffhanger, too. Shit. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and cut us off. We fucking derailed hardcore from the Midsummer, Midsummer review. But that's all right, because we, we talked for like the first hour about Midsummer. I'd say. So yeah. this will be this will be something for the people who... I'll probably put a timestamp at the end of it to be like, hey, also, if you're interested in what we have to say about these other movies, it's on here, too. But yeah, we're, we're hitting our two-hour mark right about now. So. Can I do one thing real quick that I want us all to do? We don't have to go into discussions of it, but yeah, sure. just top three favorite horror movies, just each oh, of us. Oh, shit. All right. I'll, I'll go first if y'all want to think about yeah, it just ahead. for a little Please. bit. I'm going to say, number one, The Exorcist, the original, Fantastic, The Thing, 1982, John Carpenter's, and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, Toby Hooper's. Hell yeah. Oh, fuck. That's a good list. You're gonna have to. I'm go sorry next. to put. I'm all sorry right. to put y'all That's on the spot, pressure. but I, I I wanted to ask this earlier too. We just never. I never so here's what opening. I'm gonna put in here. Uh, it sounds kind of like whoa, but like I'm gonna put Hereditary in there just because it's like a fresh horror movie that like I it, saw. Before, like if anyone starts to make movies like that again, Hereditary was like the first like to come out like that. So Hereditary, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Honestly, it's a fight between The Exorcist and Halloween for me. Like, it's a real even fight. Just because I grew... I, it was the first horror movie I ever saw, but I, it's like a classic. But The Exorcist is fucking just... It's so good, too. So, yeah. That's my top three. Damn. You see, so my thing is, is that one of the reasons I like horror so much is not necessarily because the movies are good. I just kind of like this. Especially, like, slasher movies. Like... There's not really one you watch and like that was a fucking good slasher movie. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not the best, but just your favorite. My favorite. So, I'll, I'll kind of label this in the in the ones that I can rewatch the most and not get bored every time I watch it. So, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, like very first one. Even though you watch it now, the acting's super cheesy, but it's still good. the idea mm-hmm. was super was super fresh, and I think yeah. Wes Craven did a really good did a really good job of that. So, I'm gonna say the original one of that. Um, I love Sinister. I can rewatch Sinister a million times. It's your list, man. You so, put it on there. I, so I'm going to put it just on the rewatch value because I fuck, I think I've seen that movie like five times. I fucking love that movie. Uh, and the third one, that's hard. My, I haven't... I'm going to admit this right now. I, From the parts I've seen, I really like John Carpenter's The Thing, but I haven't fucking seen it like all the way through. Let's watch it. So that, Dude, it's so good. That one might be up there, but just for kind of... Yeah, I'll probably have to say Halloween then because I've seen I've also seen the original Halloween a million times as well. So okay. yeah, uh, I was just curious before we ended it. I wanted to get y'all's piece on. Yeah, but I think yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. I fucking love cool. the original one of that. Me too. So, Hell yeah. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. All right. Solid movies. Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll end it here. Uh, like I said, I'll put it. I'll probably end up putting a timestamp on on this one because I've also gotten that recommendation from Sawyer like three fucking times now. Let me put timestamps for like each movie we end up talking about. Yeah. T- uh, true. And then we might we might even want to do a fucking podcast just about like horror movies in general too. Oh, yeah. That I, would could, be, I, could keep, I could keep yeah, going. Because you, yeah, you, su- you suggested that quite a bit. Um. So I'll have you on, and then we'll talk, and oh, then we'll God. determine if it's Chandler or somebody else. But oh. yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll do that. We'll do that eventually. So, uh, yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in to our review of Midsummer, along with like fucking twenty other movies. I'm mean, gonna have, have a giant spoiler list plastered across this thing. The video description is gonna be like half of a page. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in and listening to our opinions on that. Hope you liked it. Uh, fucking tune in next time for another episode of the Modern Goonies podcast. I've been your host, Trevor King Minor. This is my friend Harrison. This is my friend Chandler. We'll fucking see you later. Thanks, guys.